You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Loser's the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. I am sweating bullets right now. Um, I am facing into a like tall boy cupboard drawer scenario trying to create some sort of better sound in a um, far-flung part of Indonesia. And uh, it's it's definitely a different reality right now. So last week, just before I left, I had the good fortune of speaking with None other than Casey Egan. Now, Case is just an all-round good egg. Every time you see Case in the car park, or that's where I usually bump into him, it's either at a Jack Board Riders or it's in the car park, you know, checking the surf. And Case is just one of those people that's always got a big grin and, 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 a, and, a, and a big hug. He's a big hugger, and I love that about people. And, you know, I, I can remember Case from when he was just a... a a tiny grom surfing the rock with his sister Das and all his mates, and um, and it's just you know it's it's wild to see him develop into this you know amazing human being, father, um, husband, and you know hard worker and 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 cases um, definitely you know been around and he's just got some great values, um, principles, loving parents, and just a really solid human being so i had really good time talking to case case thank you so much for coming over uh always stoked to have a yak um yeah what else i literally am sweating like i've had to turn the fans off in the ac just to um get some silence in the room uh virginia's lying around on the bed um doing something on the phone and it's making me feel a little bit self-conscious but i'm getting through this one i think we're getting there um but and, and this is like I'm having a really good time over here, sweating bullets, getting sunburnt, have been bit by like weird insects and having welts and stuff. But it is really nice to be somewhere else and enjoying a different culture and some different waves. Um, and um, but if you like, I don't know, I don't know about what you think about traveling. Me, it's like I, I love traveling, sort of pretty light and um, and keeping a bit of a, a light footprint along the way. And when you bump into like 15 people traveling together in far-flung places who all decide to paddle out at the same time and sort of wreck any kind of like equilibrium that might be happening in the surf, it always blows my brain. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer or, uh, you know, like... But it's, 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 it's um, you know, if you're listening to this, I, I just think, uh, and you do that, I'm sure, I don't reckon any of my listeners would really get on board with that kind of thing. Um, it was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow there for a little bit, so there was a lot of um, timing surfs on odd hours and all sorts of, uh, it's always the way anyway, but like, anyway... I'm crapping on. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Case. Case, thanks for coming over once again. And um, I don't know what kind of a rant that was. I'm delirious. So uh, I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. Um, I only order that because that's what Allah has and it's easier and faster for them to do the exact same coffee twice. Got it. Then for me to go, can I have this on that and this? Or I'll just have a um, a batch coffee, which is, you know, like the American batch. filtered. Yeah. Batch is kind of my 
go to at work because you can kind of sip on it all day and gets to become an iced coffee, that kind of deal. Do you think, for me, I love batch. Yeah, but I find it. all the batches that I have recently, they're all trendy coffee. They're weird. And they put a fruit, yeah. they've got a fruity texture to yeah. it. I just want fucking dark shit your pants coffee. I want American coffee. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And they all my American friends or when crew come out for work, they want an Aussie coffee. And I'm just like, get me to a diner where you can pour it. And you just add the tiniest bit of milk and it's kind of harsh and a bit cracky, but like you're on. So this is where the AeroPress comes in. You know the AeroPress? No, I haven't got the AeroPress. Have you ever seen one? I don't know. It's that thing that's sitting in the rack over there. So oh, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it I have, yes, sits yes, on top yeah. of a cup. Yeah. You can I mean, make it as strong as you want. I think that's going to be ours. And then so it fills the cup with coffee strong and then you just add a dash. That's what I'm looking for. Fuck yes. Yeah, yeah me too. And it's, it's hard to get in a, in a cafe restaurant. No, everyone's got a different blend of something and it's all getting too far from the source. So we're on. As yeah. we drink sparkling water instead of a coffee. <laughs> Did you think I was going to make some terrible fucking, yeah. When you offered it, I was too scared. I didn't know what I was going to get. I'd have to. Well, I only know how to make it one way. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we're on the same trip, though, yeah, so yeah. that's all good. <laughs> there was this, um, this French guy had a cafe in Laguna that was near Gully's place. Yeah. And no matter what coffee you went in and asked for, he'd yeah. make the same. Yeah. It was just he had one thing and everyone got it. And if you complained, he yelled at you, told you to get out. It's the French way, it sounds like. <laughs> he was probably sick of dealing with Gully after all those years. Too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, now, Casey Egan, thank you for very much for coming over. All good, mate. Stoked to be here. Yeah, no, yeah. really. That's yeah, right. So I'm going to go back to my first memory of you. Shit. Uh, well, and, and it was when... You and Darcy were surfing the rock, I reckon, and you were just micro groms. Yeah, that's all right then. I didn't know where you were going to go. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty of others, yeah, yeah. but the, no, just when I was, I was dialing it back and I was just like, I just think I can't go past like you guys were the youngest kids shredding at the rock. And I was just so always blown away. We, we were lucky. Like, I grew up in Empire Avenue, so one straight back. Um, and then the house I main, mainly lived in throughout my kind of teenagers was Ocean Boulevard. So, like, I was always within 100 metres of the rock. Like, yeah. And I think that was Dad's plan, not by coincidence. <laughs> he just had to be within 100 metres of the rock as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was really fortunate in that regard. Um, and it's probably the only reason why I got waves out there as well. Because of the old man eggs, probably because of old man eggs. Yeah, yeah. He, he, him, and his mates were running it, um, especially when I was kind of coming through. They were that older group, and they still are. They still are out there every day. And then I was lucky enough within about a hundred meters or two hundred meters of my house. It was Tim Stevenson, Tyler Slave, and Jack Stevenson, Dane Carollo, Tommy Law, Paul Bleasby, and uh, we were all just kind of riding the coattails of our old bands or whoever. And yeah. That's that's the only way way we got waves. You can't yell at your mate's kid, really, can you? <laughs> I kind of have started to a few times as I get older, but you kind of want to see them get a little tube. So you, you get called into the odd set every so often, which is nice. But it's funny, like you say, uh, you know, your old man was always and and you know, I mean, there's the, the list is long of regulators out yeah. of the rock, yeah, and. It's an aspect of surfing that's slowly being lost. A hundred percent, yeah. And I hate. Yeah. 
Oh, like no, 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 I hate that it's been lost. Yeah, no, and I do too because I guess um, well, Torquay or Jack was a different joint back then. Like when I was in grade six or year seven or whatever around that age that you're probably going back to. Like I think there was like four or five thousand people in Wamba Park, Torquay, Jack, and now there's like thirty-two thousand. So like you know, or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. It, the the thing is, is like you knew everyone. Like it was very generational. Like there's a group of five or six crew out there in their age group. Then you go to Palm and Scano. Then you go down to Pez and Mushy. And then you go down uh, to yeah, yeah, like yeah. me and Tommy. And then below that's Huey Warner, my sister Darcy and Toddy Roswell, you know, and then, then it ends. So you knew everyone out there. You knew your spot. And uh, now it's just, it's a free-for-all. But the Rock's still kind of, you can't go deeper than anyone else at the Rock. So there's a bit of order out there. And yeah. when it's good, there is. But... Instead of the order being amongst ten, it's already it's amongst twenty crew, you know. So and it's so I find like I know I blame Billy for not surfing the rock enough because yeah, yeah. I just like to take her. <laughs> and sh- she fucking ran off on me one time out there, and then this guy out there told me how he had his dog nicked off the beach there, and I was just sort of got a bit. It doesn't happen at Winky, um, but yeah, it's I find it's like it it really starts to over twelve people it starts to get a little lost. Yes. It's too much. Yeah. It's like everyone sitting, 12 people sitting in a car. Like the takeoff is tight. And if you're not on that little spot, then you waste the wave anyway. So what's the point? Um, but I don't know. As we got older, you just make sure that even if there's 10 that you're on that spot with those crew, you feel like <laughs> yeah. after 20 odd years of surfing it, you kind of should. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, so there's a bit of hierarchy out there still, which is nice. But um, at the same time, I lose it out there every so often or something because it does get thrown in chaos a little bit well i think what you just said then from i know i didn't want to drill on this too early but here we go um (laughs) the coast being from x amount of people that you just said to to how many people i'm pretty sure those facts are right no (laughs) but it's whatever it is i reckon you're undergunning it yeah because if you look at the surrounding yeah armstrong creek north talkie now like yeah it does change maybe i'm undergunning jeez I don't, I don't know. But anyway, there is a added stress on the yeah. coast. 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, like I, I feel bad because sometimes I'm just like I get real bitter and I'm just mm. like, oh, my God. It's just been so, uh, what's the word, gentrified. Yeah. And I loved I loved Edge. Yeah. You know. The core of it. The yeah. core of it. And just like, uh, you know, like you go over to like um, Kilcunda and all those sort of yeah. areas, a little bit more fringy, just yeah. but not that more, much more fringy. And you find that there's old salt dogs, yeah. dudes Still with dreads yeah. floating around smoking darts. You yeah, just yeah. don't see that edge around no, here anymore that was the norm. Yeah, it was the norm, you know, and that was kind of what you looked at and you, you sort of rolled around town, you knew everyone. There was that kind of element of like you could drop your kids off, like, parents used to drop us off and come back two hours later and it wasn't an issue because they knew that out in the water was going to be one of the older guys looking after you or, you know, like remember I used to get dropped off in Carlo Loudon and just take me surfing because if Dad had to work, Carlo would be looking out for me, you know what I mean? Like there was just that trust and I don't know if you'd have that anymore. Like I've got a three-year-old, I don't know if I'd be like when he's like 10 or 11 (laughs) dropping him off after primary school at Torquay Front Beach and going, I'll be back when it gets dark. Do you want to... 
I'll flash my lights when I rock up, which is what my parents used to do. Like, Well, you might do it, but someone else might have something to say about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll end up on the forums. <laughs> You'll be in the paper. <laughs> Surf Coast Community Group forums having a crack at me, so there you go. But no, it, it has changed a lot in that regard, yeah. yeah. And so just in this zone, like for myself, starting surfing, I perceived late 13 and being sent in all the time you know yeah and been and so then been sent in threatened to be punched in the head <laughs> on the rig um you'd go and surf all the other waves yeah. that until you honed your skills enough that you could fit in sort of come back yeah and not be in the road uh and understand the pecking order of a lineup and how to mm. sneak waves yeah and that's I feel like really missing. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, you see that we used to call them the little fluoro gang where all the kids would rock up in a fluoro wedding at 3.30. They'd paddle out 20 deep out the rock and you just go, can't kids, you're just sitting in the way. Like, go to Sparrows. Yeah, totally. Go to Little Rock. Like, go to Jark. Like, and then at the other part of me was I was probably doing that with three mates, not 20, but we surfed the rock every day. Like, yeah. we didn't care. There's one section out there that's going to be better than anything you'll get at Jark. And, you know, me, Dane and Paulo and Timmy and Snip would do that every, every time. Like, and um, so I kind of understand it. And you get psyched when you see a little, those, the rock's only good if you're at 15 or 16 probably anyway. Try to see me six foot two and a hundred kilos <laughs> trying to fit into a two foot pit at the rock these days. It's, <laughs> kind of embarrassing but when you when you're 13 14 it's like some backdoor you're like yeah i'm going behind the peak getting spat out and i'm coming out and there's like sean brooks or someone on the shoulder just going fuck yeah and you go walk a little bit taller into school the next day and you you know you're kind of pretty stoked on it kind of honed your tube riding to then get to winky and then get get a nugget at lowers when it's six foot and then find something else down the coast or something but like um or go overseas and Gave everyone a bit of comfortability and good waves. And so we just tried to surf the rock every day. Like regardless of what it was like, try to find a spot and probably got a spot in the lineup because of that, I guess. Well, you put your time in on any level yeah. of anywhere and it's just is a byproduct. Starts to work out. Um, so did you have in those days, do you reckon that you wanted, did you think I, I, I want to be a pro surfer? Uh, yeah, I totally did at that stage, like up until about 16 or 17, like I competed pretty, like I competed in all of the state contests and then, you know, go to an Aussie title and whatnot. And then um, uh, my biggest downfall is I don't know how to go left. I still can't. I, my back end doesn't exist. So I'd do okay in a comp if it was a right-hander that was at four foot. If it was at two foot, I'd get smashed. And then... Um, and if it was a left, I'd, I'd rock up to Gunner and it'd be a left and I'd, Dad would be just like, oh, okay. Like, I'd be like, Dad, we're, we're going to be here for 20 minutes. What ferry can we get home on? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, ch I chased that little thing and was lucky enough to get sponsored and, you know, a little bit of opportunity to travel for that under-18 level. Um, and was lucky enough to do all right in a couple of comps. But I think when I got to, like, 17, I realised that, like, I wasn't going to be good enough Um and I didn't probably like competition surfing. What did that realisation look like? Do you remember uh, a moment? I started to just like other stuff as much as surfing. Like I wasn't like that competitive freak, like that not even skill set wise. Like I could hold it against some of the other kids in the state or country or whatever if the conditions were right. But 
I just didn't care enough about doing well. Like, you know, I think of like the kid I grew up with that was probably the best at that was Timmy Stevenson was like, he's just a competitive freak. Like he still is like such a good competitor. He won the trials, took it up to crew at the contest. Um, Tommy Law was the same. Like we all surfed the same, grew up together. Um, Those guys went a bit harder when it got big, but they actually were like, super competitive and like they want to win the contest like they rock up and timmy was like i'm gonna win i'm gonna smash all you guys and we were like holy shit he's probably gonna smash us like (laughs) and it was almost done before we even paddled out and i just realized i didn't like that side of surfing like and um i probably forced it for another year or two like i went to college um geelong college and they had to do school sport you know like and i can't i'm uncoordinated on land so i wasn't gonna go play footy um so I realised that, like, I did comps more just to stay out of having to do school sport. And then um, at 18 I was I realised that, like, there was more to surfing than trying to make the Aussie team or do well in a pro junior. And I did one or two pro juniors straight out of high school and I, I think I made one heat in about four comps and it was at Burley when it was, like, four foot and the waves were good, you know. But then the next contest at D-Bar it was two foot and I was, like, couldn't get over a three you know it was pointless like so I realized pretty quick and I loved design and I loved I wanted to be a clothing designer as much as I wanted to be a surfer by the time I was 16 so I kind of realized like surfing's my passion and but it's never going to be a profession or anything like that so did you throw did you do stuff at school to complement that yeah I, I targeted that pretty quick like um at college it was like it's a very academic sort of school but they have a really great arts program and I kind of tapped into that as fast as I could and, you know, I was doing photography and, and gra- graphic design was, you know, visual media was kind of my main thing. So I got into that but um, my dad's been a designer his whole life. My mum's a really talented artist and dad's in sourcing and product and worked for Quick and Bong and, and Rippy and just whoever. And um, so I kind of grew up like school holidays I'd end up in a factory in China with dad because and mum you know like the whole family kind of do everything when you're in that age so I just kind of liked product and clothing and I wanted to be a clothing designer as much like I had a grade five prezzo grade six prezzo where you're like oh what do you want to be you know and it's like I want to be a pro surfer or a clothing designer it's like oh shit like (laughs) I already knew you know yeah yeah yeah. I kind of by the time I got to 18 I started to want to chase that and I had some really cool people help me out to sort of fulfill that and get into that game and um that's when the like competitive side of surfing just like diminished I, I i didn't really care enough anyway i just wanted to surf yeah yeah yeah. and doing comps meant i could go on a trip with my friends to surf so <laughs> let's do that yeah how it's just we are so blessed to have this thing that is like you know i'm not going to jump into this part yet but still have a fun comp day yeah uh and then but just be able to travel with it, mm. have it at home. It keeps you fit and healthy. Makes you see mates. Like, totally. Makes us get together. <laughs> get get out. No matter what's going on, you have a smile. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to let the dog outside. Yeah. She's acting a little bit odd behind you. Yeah, and, and so to, to be able to pull back, go, I'm going to do some other shit with my life, but surfing's always going to be the, yeah. you know. It always has. Yeah. It's always been that, like, core thing. Um, it's probably I get a little obsessive about the surf culture still to this day, as in, like, I'm just obsessed by surfing knowledge or intel or 
clips or like I'm on my phone watching surfing or I'm obsessed with the contests or so that still it like takes over a lot of my brain space but like the reality is is like surfing something that I can come and go from whenever I want and um it's 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 a healthy obsession and um that's the best yeah tell me is your is that instagram of the old school hacks is that you of what there's a instagram page that's just like pulls out like Shane Herring hacks, you know, and then writes a blurb about it. It sounds like something I should have done though. I thought you have seen it. No. And it's just all like, you know, Shane Powell yeah, and just yeah. all these like hackers from the 80s and 90s. Every single thing you'd want to be, yeah. And, and then writes this really funny blurb about the turn and I the ferocity in it. Oh, I always thought, I think that's case. No, I should do it though. I'll tap into this guy. It sounds like my soulmate. <laughs> You don't know the one I mean? No, I've got to get on. I'm on most of those things these days between surfcore and um, and any of those old Oki's toilet or whatever it is. But, like, uh, no, I've got to find the hack one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's my that's my wheelhouse. Um, so let's say, did you go to uni for design? No, I um, got into – so my plan was after year 12 I was going to take a year off to do comps, like, and do the pro juniors with my friends. And back then the pro juniors were like under 21 and there was like 12 events in Australia, New Zealand, and it was a proper tour. And all my mates from Sydney and um, like mates from the sunny coast and that, they were on it. And Tommy and Tim, Dane Kroll and myself were going to do it. And um, we went to the Goldie for, th- for two months and that's when I did four comps in a row and made one heat and I was like, this is not good. But I did go, I got into uni to do design and I deferred for the year. Yeah. And I was home surfing the rock and I came in and I was telling Scano who, Ryan Scanlon, who's, um, he was the head of design at Quickie at the time. I was like, oh, Scano, I'm going to do this thing. Like I'm going to go to Sydney and in between comps do this course where I learn Illustrator and Photoshop intensive. So it's like a two-month intensive called Chillington College. And I was like. Two months. Yeah, it's just you go every day for two months or maybe it was three in the end. And um it's like, a, you know, eight till six every day um, and you just learn the programs to industry standard as quick as you can. That sounds great. Yeah, and I was like um, a friend of mine, Rama, who was working for my dad at the time. Um, dad was at Globe and Rama did it and he's just like, man, it's incredible. So I was like, if Rama did it, I'm going to do it. Um, and I told Scano about that and he's like, oh, yeah, cool. You should hit me up when you, when you finish that and you can come do like a week of work experience between comps and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, epic. And one of my close mates, Josh Rush, he's three years older than me and he'd kind of gone through the uni thing and got this job at Quickie Designing Boardies and he was 23 or something at the time or 22 and he was like head of board shorts, like fucking crazy opportunity. And Rush, he's one of the most talented humans. Like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. tapped, like the way he thinks and like the creative mind he had even in high school, let alone once he'd put that through uni and even where he's at today. Well, he keeps, keeps, keeps studying. My brother was he's, in uni doing a master's or something yeah. recently and Rushy was in his class. He's still pushing. And like, I was like, what? Yeah, he's he's such a talent. He's a huge influence for me, Rushy. And um, and so he was like the three years older guy and like I was like, oh, I want to follow what Rushy's kind of doing. And so I did the course in Sydney, came home um, and – I was going to Indo with Paulo. We were going to G-Land for our first, like, overseas solo trip sort of thing. And um, so I jammed this week in with Scano and Rushy and I um, I got to the end of the week and I was like, oh, thanks, Scano. And he's like, oh, mate, don't even go to uni. Like, all you're going to do is go for four years, get this hex debt, 
and I'm going to offer you the exact job I'm offering you today in four years' time. Like, we'll teach you. We'll be your uni. And I was like, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to Indo for a month with Paulo. Like, you know, I've saved up and, like, we're going. And um, I've done dishes at Surfrider or something to pay. And, and he's like, mate, you can start when you get back. Like, And I was like, oh, fuck, okay, I'm in. Like, thanks, mate. And then so I went to Indo, came back and started in, like, May of um, – 2005 or something that's with Scano and uh he just chucked me in straight into quickie and like pin was there running it mikey blackwood and Scano mm. and um another really close friend of mine these days nick rendick who i don't know if you remember nick he's like an american guy him and his wife had moved out um and he's just insane he literally sat me down he was like the senior designer or whatever head of design under Scano, and Scano just goes like sit with him and learn i was like i know graphics like and he just gave me three months of just like you wouldn't learn that shit at uni like and i um ended up working on boardies and working for quick i spent four years to the day with him i just treated it like uni like yeah yeah. and then uh, what an amazing opportunity yeah so scanner's a lord like he's done he he really like back to perk rock but the old stairs, there was that old long path. I remember it clearly just sitting there going, oh, Scanner, I want to be a designer. Like, and um, he just got, he just kind of made it happen for me. He just, like, tracked it while I went to Sydney, kept in touch, and then he goes, yeah, come do a week, and then offered me the dream role. So um, I was, you know, I was, I'd turned 18 the year after year 12, so I was, like, 18 in, like, a month when I started at Quickie. Like, it was just straight in, and, um, yeah, him and Rendick looked after me, like, He's, yeah. he's a real visionary. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, um, the whole time he was like, oh, you know, I was working with him. He's like, oh, I can't wait to like leave and buy a boat and sail around the world. And I'm like, you're so full of it, Scanner. You're not going to buy a boat, sail around the world. And but didn't like, his parents do that? Yeah, he did that growing up. Yeah. And sure enough, like he left and like got a boat and sailed around the world. And like, he's a, he's a, he's a guru, Scanner. He's a legend. Like, I can't thank him enough for what he did for me, honestly. Like, um, and what he taught me and, uh, yeah, what he's doing these days is insane. So yeah. Yeah. He's a good man. Yeah. Um, now was Gully floating around? So the day I started at Quickie, <laughs> yeah. um, Gully had gone to the curl, um, cause I sat in his seat. Oh wow. So we crossed paths by like a day. And so Gully and Marlon had an office cause Marlon was there as well at the time designing and um <laughs> to be a fly on the wall yeah, in that they, office they sent me into that office <laughs> and the gullies and marlon's like tommy's my best mate it's my best mate's older brother so i was super comfortable like the team was scanner rendick marlon and rushy basically at that stage then hayden davis rocked up who's another close friend but um yeah gully like so all i heard was just these gully stories but i was old enough to know that that's gully gully's just a classic human anyway like because yeah. i was starting to go to the bird rocket for beers or wherever and gully was just on a tear he was, infamous. He was classic and then um <laughs> i started going to the states a lot for quickie and gully was in laguna hence i know the what you're talking about before so um i spent a bit bunch of time with gully there and um yeah he, gully's a legend yeah like, he's one of the great guys probably <laughs> our first ran into you was with yeah that's that, that period of time that zone. yeah yeah um so now you did you did this you got your chops in there and it, something to do with there's a change in here and with denim right yeah so i i got to the point with um 
So I, I nearly went to the States to work for Quick and the guy that was like the head of product or the vice president or whatever at Quick was this guy, Eric Jewell, who was um, a really talented dude. He was probably a bit smart for what he was doing at Quick. is in like he was like high fashion sort of long-term garment industry uh, kind of guru and Quickie was definitely still that like full surf like and he didn't surf or anything and he got poached to go and run Levi's and um in San Fran and so I you know met him a couple of times was like worked with him and was like oh you know never see that guy again kind of thing he's gone to Levi's and then he took Nick Rendick with him as well and um because Nick after Australia had gone back to Quickie America and then had left and he was originally he'd done schooling in San Fran and he wanted to be up in SF as well. Um, so Eric and Nick went and basically set up at Levi's and I quit Quicksilver just to travel. And Al, my partner, and I, we were just going to go to Indo and, you know, do all that sort of stuff. And my parents were living in Santa Monica at the time, so I got up and... Side note, you guys have been together for ages. Yeah, so Al and I met um, when I was 20, like a couple of months before my 21st birthday. And, um, yeah, we've been together the whole time. So... It was um, Al was from from Lawn originally. Uh, Aries Inlet, sorry, did school in Lawn, and then to Janjak um, with her family. And um, yeah, so we've been together the whole time. And um, I probably quit Quicksilver around twenty two or something like that, like after four years. And so we'd already been together like two years, and we were planning on just traveling and like you know sat in a desk for four years while all my friends had travelled and yeah. been around the world. And yeah. Al had the itch as well to sort of travel more. And um, so I went quickly to see mum and dad who were living in Santa Monica with Darcy. And um, I went there and it was um, Snit, my friend's 21st, around that time as well. So we are kind of hanging out. And I was there for two or three weeks and then I was going to meet Al in Indo and we were just going to see where, how much money we could spend kind of thing, like where the, when the till ran out, we are going to yeah. come home yeah. and get jobs. And... Um, when I was there, Nick Rendick called me and goes, oh, do you want to come have dinner with me? I'm in town with work. Let's meet in Abikini. And I was like, sweet. And I had a beer or two with Dad and then gone, oh, I'm going to go have dinner with Nick. And I rocked up and he was sitting with these two women, Nada and Jamie, who um, worked at Levi's with him. So the three of them were on a work trip and I just sat down and was like, yada, 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 talking, chatting. Like, this is in LA? This is in LA, yeah, yeah, in Venice. And just had no context of what was going on. Tell him about good times. And yeah, it was just fun. It was good to see Nick after a couple yeah. of years I hadn't seen him and I, I missed him. So I just wanted to hang. And, and then I remember they went to get the car and I was standing out front of the restaurant with Nick and he's like, that went really well. And I'm like, what are you talking about, mate? And he's like, oh, I didn't want to tell you, freak out, but I've been telling him about there's a job. Like I just want you to meet him and not like, you know, get in, but I just to see how if you gel with the team. And and um, I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? I don't want a job. Like, I just quit a job. Like, the last thing I want. And he's like, no, 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 trust me. The next day he called me and goes, come up to San Fran because it was a Saturday night. He goes, come up to San Fran on Monday. I want you to meet some crew and do a proper interview. And so I went to San Fran. Oh, my God, I love and, this. And that was when I got there. I was, like, stressing. Like, I was like, all of a sudden, you know when you know something's possible? Yeah, I started yeah. going, fuck, do I actually want to do this? Yeah, like, my whole world much. could change. I don't know much about denim. I always thought that Quickie wasn't doing what I wanted to do in a clothing sense as a clothing designer I wasn't fulfilling what I wanted to do there um so it's one of the reasons I kind of got up and left and um and this was kind of like the opportunity to do something like that and they gave me I met like did the full boardroom like 
meet and greet sort of stuff. And then they gave me this project and they said, oh, you've got three weeks. And I was like, go on Indo like three days later. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll be in LA. I'll let you know. And I flew to Indo and I told Ella and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm even going to waste my time doing this. Like, and she's like, you're so stupid. Like why? And I'm like, well, what, what are we going to do? Move to San Fran? Like, I don't want us to, you know, like you and I, like, what, what does that mean? Like all that kind of shit. We're in a really good spot. And, and she was like, oh, look, I'll come. Like, if we do it, let's do it together. Like, and so that just gave me the confidence to like, all right, let's have a crack. And, um, you know, like we were young, like yeah. she was 21, I was 22. And it was so amazing of her to just go like, I'll come with you. Like, I, I want to do stuff, but let, let's do it, you know? And so I was kind of like blue ocean. Cause you know, that shit back then in Indo, especially. So I was going to that blue ocean joint, you know, in Semiac, there's this little cafe yeah. and I'd do work at night, build this big prezzo that I had to do. And then I'd go use their internet, send it. And then like the next day I'd run down, see if I got a reply. Like, <laughs> um, so after about a month in Indo, I think we both went over to San Fran. I can't remember. And I got off of the job and then, um, yeah, we were in, we went to San Fran, did two years there basically. Like, What year was that? So that was uh, 09 to 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I lucked into an amazing position. And, again, Nick Rendick, thanks to him. But um, And I moved to an incredible city that I knew nothing about. And, like, and uh, Alan and I sort of set up this little life there. And where, where did you live in San Fran? So we lived in the Tenderloin. I don't, I don't really know. So, it, but, yeah. Um, the San Fran, like right in the city, there's layer, like it's hilly, yeah. right? And Nick told me that every street you go up, it gets a little bit nicer because there's, you know, you're looking at the bottom of the hill, there's 10, 10 streets up. Well, yeah. And so the bottom's called the Tenderloin or Soma, South Market, Tenderloin. And then this is literally three blocks difference. And then it's Knob Hill. And then it's like K, K N. Uh, no, N O B Hill. Okay, right. And so I lived the borderline street. Bush Street between Knob Hill and the Tenderloin. And so they call it the Tender Knob. So I was living <laughs> on Bush Street in the Tender Knob and uh, I was making pretty good money, like US dollars. Like the dollar was pretty shitty back then, actually. So like yeah. I was sending it a bit That home. was in the crash. That was the end of the crash. Yeah, but Levi's just have this incredible ability to be an amazing brand. Like they just reinvented themselves. Um, they've gone these ebbs and flows in the 150 years or whatever it's been. They've been around, obviously. But in the 80s and 90s, they had a weird spit period. Early 2000s were huge. And then they basically got a bunch of young crew in to just run the place from a design perspective. Right. Like they had their business crew and Eric was a really great leader. And But he just brought in like young crew. And so the day I started, there was an artist called Brian Kessling. There was um, Scott, another guy, and then Alex Baldwin, who's like an incredible designer. Alex Baldwin. Baldwin. No. Baldwin, though. <laughs> um, he, and so there was like six young crew in there just going – we've got this old brand and they're literally saying, here's the keys to the castle. Like, so we reinvented a bit of their fit issue, um, not issues, some of their new fits. And um, they put this all new marketing team in that were young as well. And we kind of rejigged it and just went bang, like straight away. We had a really good couple of years in there. And um, I was learning from these crew that had been there for 20, 30 years that were just the truest denim gurus in the world. Like, Carl, Kiara and Nada and, and Jamie and they were like, they just gave us this like denim apprenticeship. And I came in being the guy that designed Bordy's tees, the odd flannel, like, <laughs> and like to being like, you need to work on denim at this brand. And um, 
it was it was insane. Like it was tough as well. Like Al and I were away from her family, obviously, but we kind of just had this little hub between the two of us, and we got a little sausage dog in San Fran, and um, we just like took every opportunity in that city. And you know, it's a beautiful place. Like San Fran's incredible. There's incredible waves, which no one understands that the surf there is as good as anywhere in the world. So my only context to this is Barbarian Days. Yeah, so that's a really true, like that book is a really true um, depiction of what San Fran is. And did you have days like, is it Ocean Beach? Yeah, so Ocean Beach is um, literally in the city. So it's like saying St Kilda is as good as Hossie or Joanna. That's that's the reality of it. And Melbourne and San Fran are really similar. So we felt like at home, same climate, same kind of crew. You know, the mission districts like Fitzroy, there's like parts that are like, you know, the, the marina's a lot like St Kilda or something like that. But San Fran's a lot more condensed. And then, um, but yeah, so in city, the waves are insane. Like I'd paddle out and you're kind of, in winter, you're looking for crew because it's, yeah, yeah. it's cold. And yeah. I'm lucky Nick was such a good surfer and he was just still frothing on surfing at the time. He still is now. But um, he'd pick me up, take me to Ocean Beach and San Fran's famous for the fog. Yeah. So you're sitting there and there's like the fog's rolling in and it's six to eight foot. It's always big. So it's kind of like always as in in winter and in, yeah, in yeah, fall. Yeah. And the back – it's basically the back beach of of Mavericks. So – like Mavericks is down towards San, Santa Cruz, 40 minutes out of town. But if you think of it as in a coastline stretch, yeah. it'd be like Mavericks being Cape Otway and um, Joanna's being Ocean Beach, you know, right. like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's within striking distance. Um, same swells. Same swells. So yeah. it's huge. And it's got that French beachy element about it where there's a closeout shorey and then there's a bit of a gap and then there's these outside banks which are beautiful. And, um, but to get through that shorey is like, if it's 10 foot out of the back, it's six foot in the shorey. And it's always 10 foot, like in winter. <laughs> and uh, I rocked up with like two Morrises and a, like a, I was riding a single fin displacement hull at the time. Like just not equipped. Like I should have had like big boards. Yeah. Like, you know, and um, I ended up getting a couple of big boards and had a, had a lot of fun. Like I remember one day it was sheet glass. Um, I couldn't see how big it was, but I could tell it was short because of the fog. And I could tell the shore he was like four foot. And um, so I was like, oh, I must be six foot out the back. And I started punching through the shore and Nick and I just got separated because the water moves in every direction. So you're next to each other and two duck dives later that, yeah. and I can't see Nick. <laughs> and I got to the gutter and then I got out the back and I was sitting out there and it was just like a fucking trip. Like couldn't see the land, nothing, but just this, you know, 20 meter circle of clearing the fog around you where you could see through it. And there's one ghostly dude fucking comes past, sits near me. Because it's a bit like... Um, you didn't see him and then he just appears. He just appears. Like, like Headless Horseman a, stuff. Yeah, it's a bit like a, a longer version of 13th where, like, there's peaks. So, you know, there's defined banks, but it's not like Joey where there's, like, a 100-metre rip in yeah. between. You're not going from one bank to the other. Yeah. It's peaks. And, like, I just got out there and there's just this, like, eight-foot pure glass A-frame, like... And, you know, you're kind of going, I don't actually want it. If I snap my leg, I don't even know, you know, yeah, which way what's the beach, going yeah. in. And, and then I saw Nick drift down. He's like, holy shit, I've just got the craziest pit up here. And so you kind of just like scouting. You just no one there. And you're in a city of millions of people and you're surfing like eight foot perfect waves. And like, and crew are starting to get more crowded there recently, I think. Like 
crew from Southern Cal will now strike it to get a bigger beachy. And you'll see like yes. all the pros from Southern California going up and getting clips and stuff. But 10, 12 years ago now, it was like it was just a low-key surf scene. And, um, you know, the only thing that was really happening out at Ocean Beach was Mollusk, the store, you know, the brand yeah. Mollusk. Their store is like still to this day looks the same as it did 12 years ago. It's just incredible. Like, And um, so it was a good little hardy surf crew and I got to know a few of the local kind of guys that wanted to surf it with you. But Did they have a store in New York? They did for a while, yeah. Yeah, Which I, I think that. um One of the guys, Chris, from who now runs Pilgrim, I think he kind of set up Mollusk. I could be wrong there, but he set up the New York Mollusk. And yeah. then they had one in Venice right under the Venice sign. Yeah. And, um, yeah, great, great surf store. Like, fuck, so good. But, yeah, San Fran's a trip. And then at night you're going in and they're like, it's best food in the world, like good bands coming through every night, like so much history, like, you know, yeah, the yeah, so much sort history. of thing and then like the whole hippie movement and like, and so like, and in 90s it was like a really good music scene that was... Milk. Yeah, and you know, yeah, that whole milk thing was yeah. like, a whole, you know, like Harvey Milk is the, is the international airport's called after him, you know. So there's this really cool... Um, sort of like you can just be yourself. And I think Ella and I really like that part of the city. We could just kind of, you know, coming from Tokyo where you know every single person every mm. day and you know everyone's shit and what everyone's doing. <laughs> yeah. We were just like anonymous in this really cool city and it was rad. So, yeah. Can we just finish that ghostly surf? Yeah, yeah. Did you get a couple? Mm. I did. I was way undergun. I had um, a Morris 6.3 that was... Like, remember when Morris was doing those, like, two-inch Congo almost? Like, yeah, just yeah. these, <laughs> yeah. like, catamarans. And it had a really lot of foam forward on the board. So I paddled, like, a 6'8". And I got one or two. And I did get, like, over my time there, I, I got some of the best barrels I've ever had anywhere. And so many where, like, it pinch you at the end and, like, it doesn't matter. But that day I remember getting a, a, a really big clean wave. Didn't get tube or anything, but just a sheet glass, big solid one. And, like, the guys around you are... Like the guy that drifted into my scene, he was on an eight six, and he laughed at me. I remember just going, "Oh, you know, what are you doing?" And Nick was a bit the same because he was organised. But yeah, I got I got some great waves that session. Like in the two years that I was there, like I'll never forget that A frame. Like that came out of the fog, and like it was tri- it was a trip. Like yeah, it was really cool. That book, Barbarian Days, the way he des- every part that he describes yeah. is just so. Well, just amazing. But uh, and I think if you don't surf to read that book, it really gives you a feeling of what it's all about. A hundred percent, yeah. And but what really floored me, without wrecking the book, but was um, the mortality aspect that mm. he brought to the end of it. Yeah. Because I never really thought like, oh fuck, yeah. you know, oh that's coming. That's it. It's like, oh fuck, I didn't think that far into it. I don't want that to start out, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And got, just where you start to lose the edge and yeah. the ability and you start questioning yourself in that regard. And like I don't read a lot of books, but that book is insane. And I instantly gelled with that because of the San Fran parts at the start. You know, like it really sucked all the Hawaii parts. Oh my but god. Amazing. He goes pretty into it. And yeah. um and he talks a lot about this guy Doc, who's from there, who's this like guru and when i was reading it like i know doc like i don't know him personally but i'm he's like oh that's doc like he's been charging here since the early day like and rendic used to tell me about doc and he shaved and he had his thing and um the way he describes it is yeah delete the last couple of minutes and just go read that (laughs) get a sense of san (laughs) fran better than than what alan and i were kind of tripping around but um it's it's a 
like I, but the element of respect yeah. and like you know in the lineup and not knowing people and seeing who's who in the zoo and respecting that order and that whole thing, I, I just I loved and and the ele- the mystical element. Yeah, the way he way he worded it and like summed it up. There was not an element of like corniness about it, you know, and like when. Even sometimes when you talk about like the lineup and the hierarchy, it can come across weird and like that sort of thing. But the way he describes it, it's like a little microclimate of a completely functionality almost. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, weird. yeah, 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 yeah. And a proving ground, yeah. and and you know, and, and like a coming of age, and you know, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, and like the secrecy of it. Yeah, yeah, it's like. I, I love you, that. You want everyone to get involved in it, but you also just don't want yeah, anyone yeah, to fucking. Yeah. <laughs> How was it? Oh, I was okay. It's nothing, man. Yeah, yeah. But you're like, I've got mates when they say that, I'm like, you fucker. Like, I know you got, like, yeah, yeah. You're the, that, yeah, that was as good as it gets. And yeah, they just get this little yeah, glint yeah. in their eyes. And yeah, Snit's the best of that. Oh, like, no. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing, mate. <laughs> he's so staunch. I'm looking at you, I'm like, he's so staunch. He's like, nothing, mate. Nothing. Just, <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Like, whatever, mate. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. So at the end of San Fran, how did that wind up? Uh, and what, what did that look like? Uh, <laughs> a, um, so I had visa issues from not going to uni. So Scano's words came back to bite me in the ass a little bit. So in the US, as you know, Teague, the visa issues. Like, oh, fuck. It's a fucking nightmare. And um, I had a two-year visa and then in order to get another one, the eve three or whatever it was i had to have a university degree or six years working experience and i had five years and 10 months because i literally couldn't even pretend because i started at quickie oh straight away yes out of school yeah there's no wiggle room and i'd already submitted my resume to the and anyway so the u.s government basically said like you got to do a year away and come back so ala and i were ready to come home i was ready to lose my job and i got offered a job with levi's in tokyo and um, this is like February of 2011 and I was like, okay, so Ella and I, we decided to go and do Tokyo and keep this little trip rolling that we're on. And, um, excuse me, and um, I came home to get our visas sorted and Ella was at home working as, at the time over the summer to try and save up. And um, I was supposed to start on April the 1st in Tokyo at a house organized for Al and I and Dakingyama. Our little sausage dog Naboo was getting shipped to San um to Tokyo. Uh, which if anyone's ever tried to bring a dog in or out of the States, it's a in or out of Australia is a nightmare. That's another thing. Um and was sitting at Al's parents' house and the tsunami happened in in Tokyo in March of twenty eleven and like our passports were even at the embassy. And um my boss who I was moving there with, John Colonna, he was setting up our houses and getting everything sorted for us and he was stuck at the airport. Um, he ended up having to walk all the way back in from Tokyo Airport across like, you know, when it was all going down. Um, so obviously Fukushima happened and and it got really weird for a bit. So um, the US government who were insuring John and everyone to go, like, you know, they weren't giving out Japanese visas at the time, but the Australian government was. They basically put a hold on it. Um, and if you remember, crew were like, oh, no, you can't eat the fish because it's yeah, full of... Yeah, yeah. You'll die. Like Nuclear. You can't drink the water. Like, um, And there was so many shocks. So for a week or two, John was stuck in Tokyo and he was going to me like, it's crazy here. Like, 
It's all happening like, you know, it was so devastating. He goes, we'll be here at the end of the month, just chill for a month. And then May happened and April went, came and gone. And in May he goes, just one more month, like I'll get my visa from the US government, you know, all good. And so Ella and I were like, instead of waiting in Australia, we went to Bali and sat in Bali for a month. And I didn't tell Levi's, I was still working, getting paid. So I was like going to that cafe again and sending emails and, and Al and I just, it got to the point where they couldn't guarantee, they actually said like, John, they pulled the pin on setting up the Japanese office. We're going to work on collaboration. So they go, we're just going to bring that back to San Fran. No need, John. And I wasn't allowed to go back to the US uh-huh. on a working visa. So Al and I were just kind of at that point, we were kind of happy. We were home. We brought Naboo back to Australia. We were kind of like, we're done with San Fran in that regard. Like, um, and we wanted to move on. So we moved to Melbourne um, the idea of coming back to Torquay wasn't there yet. I still wanted to be in Denham and working and I just lucked into, um, working at, um, Wrangler. I got a job in a Wrangler in Australia, which was a really cool opportunity. So I, I, we went and we did six years in Fitzroy in the end, back and forth, but, um, I did Wrangler and quit and started my own Denham brand. And Was Alan, Ellie Frangos working there? Uh, Ali was at Brad Mill. So Ali was doing, I actually did some freelance with Ali before the Wrangler gig to stay alive. Yeah. Um, and then when I left Wrangler, I went and started my own sort of denim brand. Um, Ali ended up getting a job a couple a year later. She ended up at Wrangler as well. I'm pretty sure. Um, it, the denim, you think the surf industry is like insular and weird, like denim's even harder. There's like <laughs> yeah, right. five or six brands, there's five or six crew starting their own thing and that's it. So yeah. you're swapping and changing and going and, or you leave to do your own thing or you go somewhere. So um, it's a small little world and Ali was an amazing designer as well and she she was able to sort of um, get me some freelance when I got home and then I ended up at Wrangler and, um, yeah, we did the Melbourne thing for a while and Ali was at um, Melbourne Actors Lab doing really enjoying that um, and um, so we just kind of got entrenched in the let's spend time in Melbourne more so and doing weekends down in Torquay and stuff like that. So, yeah. But so I stayed in Denver for a little while. Did she still do any acting stuff? No, nah, not so much anymore, but um, she went really hard at it for, for a fair few years in at, with the Melbourne Actors Lab. Yeah. With uh, Peter Carlos, I think it is. And um, they had a really great facility and um, theatre sort of thing in Brunswick. So when we were in Fitzroy, it was real easy. And as you know, Tegsy, when she was doing it, she was getting right into it and, like, would be going at, like, 8 and coming home at, like, 2 a.m. and, like, just exhausted and doing a lot of work around um, one sort of character and one play that she, she really spent a couple of years honing in on. And um, and then when we kind of came back to Torquay, she did the drive up and back and I think it got really draining. Air and then, grinds, yeah. Um, and then we kind of, with Otis, it, it, it became sort of impossible to yeah, keep doing yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. Um, she was, like, so dedicated to it and did incredible work and really... Like, she's such a creative person that she was just really putting it into that and... Uh, um, I, you know, I feel bad that she probably can't still do it, but um, I don't know if she'd want to, but, like, it was just a really cool period of life. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so then you guys came back to Torquay. Yeah, we kind of we went to get a house in Melbourne and we were thinking about it. You know, you're looking at, like, a new build in Fitzroy that's, like, a one-bedroom or a studio and it's, like, 500 or something. We're like, do we really want to, like, do this when every opportunity we get at that stage of our life we were 
kind of coming back to Torquay on the weekends or yeah, yeah. just to get out of the city. I remember that. I think I was yeah. fresh back from the States. I remember bumping into you a lot and you were doing that drive a lot. We were doing a lot. And, like, I was getting up at, like, 3 a.m. and driving down the coast and, like, surfing Joanna or something and then driving back to the city and being back by 10, you know. Like, Anala was just working so hard in, in retail up there and, like, so every chance we weren't in retail or or I was hustling freelance, I was kind of, while I was doing my own denim brand, we were, which we both worked on, we kind of would go, let's go to Alice's parents' house or like, you know, her, her sister Josh in India, like let's go to Torquay or go stay with friends or, and so we kind of just got to the point where like, fuck, I think we want to be there. Like, and um, so we ended up just pulling the trigger and, that's how, you know, I ended up doing freelance at Rip Curl and kind of working here and then we just sort of set our life back up down here and um, I think I was chasing, trying to get away from Torquay for a fair while after I was like 22 and then even coming back from San Fran, I was like, oh, Melbourne, Melbourne and then you kind of end up going, oh, fuck. <laughs> Pulls you Jark, back in. <laughs> as you know, and then all of a sudden you're sitting in Torquay and jarking. Trying to find you going, it's too crowded down here. I was the same, man. I was like, I'm not going back. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not going. I'm not. I'm, not, I, it's I, not. I'm going. I, I even tried out bowing heads for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Gotta get away. I'm going to heads. <laughs> I remember that actually. And uh, but yeah, it's a bizarre. But I don't know. When you grow up in a town, you kind of want to try something different. Some crew. I've got friends that grew up in Melbourne. They're just like, oh, thank God, I live down here. But there was a group of us that were like me and Tommy Law and Al and. Um, and a lot of our other friends that were just going like, oh, no, we need to live in Melbourne. Like, that's the least we can do is get up there. And you go through stages. You like going yeah, out totally. and seeing bands. Yeah. And then after a while going out to buy beer and spending 100 bucks every time you leave your house, it's just, you know, oh, shit, yeah. I just want to be at home. I wouldn't mind a backyard even though I don't do anything in it. Like, I want surfboards again. I want to surf. Totally. And it's just changing gears and just ebbs and flows of life and different times, mm. you know, it's just just got to go with that different cadences that are happening, follow your instincts. Yeah, you get know. back. And um, so I right. think, sorry to cut you off. That's all good. Um, when, now we, we, you were doing your own denim? Yeah, I did dig for a little while. Um, and I'd do all the men's and Allard help on the women's. And then um, I had, uh, we, we just tried to do like a really premium sort of thing. And keep it sort of small and have a crack. And, like, honestly, I just, like, I, I found, like, I'd done all these businesses. Like, I'd worked at Levi's. I'd worked at Wrangler. Like, I'd done stuff at Quick. And, like, I was always, like, on Harkin doing, like, solo, fuck this. Like, it's not that hard. Like, I do all, all this stuff or whatever, you know, you get in your head. Mm. And then I did my own thing and I probably, like, I did some really good stuff. Like, and the denim was really great. And I had some really amazing women's fits and things like that and the issue was that like I probably wasn't ready to handle everything that wasn't product or design like and I had Tommy Law helping me out a lot with the marketing side of things and like and then I'd have like I'd kind of go I'd ask Drapey for advice on sales and like you know I had all these close friends that had all the other components Mm -hmm. but then a part of me was probably really selfishly like just brought it in and I just kind of melted under like um the stress of trying to do the other stuff so i had really great product and it was sitting right there but like i didn't have the capability to do the other shit mm. and um i probably was lying to myself for about a year going no no i'll fucking pull this like but I, at the end of the day like i had to get to a point where i got through some stock and i was like do i go again 
and like really put myself in and have a crack and you with any product as you'd probably know with a lot of work that you're doing that like you're one bad shipment away from being completely stuffed and um i just didn't handle the pressure i don't think too well yeah um and in hindsight i'm looking at going fuck i need to learn a lot more than i did to go out and start my own shit and like balance a fucking balance sheet but <laughs> it's awesome though you have to back yourself in and fail yeah, yeah you, totally. you don't have to fail but it's n- no harm in going through that process yeah I, I just i ended up kind of getting a bit weird in myself like i just let it consume me as well and um so i didn't have that release and it just probably affected a lot of who i was for a period of time there and i just wasn't very wasn't probably in a good headspace because i was kind of so stressed that i just would either not surf or surf too much or avoid the yeah, hard yeah. things or yeah. take the hard things on so much that it would melt. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I was really proud of like what we did and like, and you know, like we had a lot of like, we had help on the photography side of things and like, you know, Al created a bit of a shoot that was just insane and like, and we made some really cool shit that still holds up, you know, and I still see my friends wearing it and I go, fuck, that was, that's a good piece. Like, that's a good jacket or a good cut. And a lot of the cut, it was a bit, it was pretty forward at the time and I was asking for forward fits in really premium fabric and it probably, so it was like a lot of time if you're going to try something new in a fit, you want it to be sort of cheaper to have a crack where I was going, nah, I need you to fork out 250 because it's Japanese denim, like salvage beautiful denim. But, yeah, the fit's cropped and wide and, like, or super tapered and like drop crutched and just yeah so i was kind of in my own head going fuck yeah let's have a red <laughs> i designed it for casey <laughs> oh i know i think i remember i think once i hit you i was like oh can i get some jeans or something and you're like yeah it's this much and i was like oh my god i'm just i fucking can't do it i can't i couldn't do it yeah, for any like, other brand out there let alone <laughs> <laughs> oh well that oh. no, was a good exercise. I loved it, and it was cool. I learned fucking a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was a steep, steep learning curve. Yeah, mate. It's just, it's yeah. Well, hats off. Yeah, fuck. Gotta have a crack. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's funny when you just, but well, for me, like just looking at like driftwood, I'm, I'm, I'm out on that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Yeah, and the same thing. You know, I was like, it's gonna, but I just, I'm, I can't. You know, you can't do everything. Yeah. And if your heart's not in it and you don't love it, mm. oh, I think you love design. I think it's different. Yeah. But I don't think, like, maybe with Ella and her acting as well, yeah. you sort of you need to be supported yeah. to some degree. Yeah, yeah. You can't do everything. Yeah. It's hard to be a one-man show, yeah. I, I really think. Um, and, and so anyway, with that candle, so I was just my heart wasn't there. Wasn't there. Yeah. No, yeah. It was just like it sort of fell in my lap, did yeah. it for a while, learned a lot. And you go, yeah. And yeah, that shit's important because I'd probably, if I hadn't have done that, I'd be sitting in my job going, oh, I could do something. Like, the reality is maybe one day, but like, I, I, I'm comfortable like actually being a part of a team and working with a bigger bunch of crew at different points in my life. And yeah, I kind of yeah. thrive in that zone of yeah. bouncing off crew. And I probably didn't even use um, my friends or even Allah as much as I should have in that time to bounce shit off. So it got out of my head. Yeah. I was like, that's going to be a sign of weakness. So fuck that. I'll internalize i'll compress the shit yeah and just deal with it solo instead of asking for help and uh so yeah you go through some weird battles when you're doing your own shit isn't that funny though yeah. like to, like 
Uh, luckily, I've always been a fucking talker. <laughs> Something's going on in my world. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I know that it's just like such a male Aussie yeah, thing to be like, no, fucking stuff that fuck stuff that. down. Yeah. I'm fucking bulletproof. <laughs> Can't show weakness. No. So I was really inside. I was like, fuck it, Sam. Come and help me. Dying. Dying on the vine. Nah, it's all good. Um, and so I think then the next part was I bumped into you in the top car park at Juck and you were like, I'm starting it. I'm starting it. Jan Juck board riders, you in? Yeah, it wasn't just me solo, but yeah. No, no, yeah, but yeah. you were the person that broached it to me. To broach it to you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you and I have always kind of crossed paths at different points. It's like we see each other every day for a couple of months and then I don't see it for a few years and then it's like, yeah. oh, Tiggs is back yeah. or I'm back. <laughs> well, I, I knew, was, and I knew, because I was in the States too, and I knew yeah. you were in San Fran, and I kept thinking, where am I going to bump into him? What's he doing up there? What's going on? Anyway, yeah, go, keep going. Should have come. Yeah. But no, nah, we, um, it kind of worked out the time that I moved home and at the same time, my group that I grew up with, we all sort of found ourselves back at home. Like Snit had done a session in a, – a session. He'd done a period in France and then in Melbourne doing uni and Timmy was always on fly in, fly out. And then when he wasn't, he'd save up and go on these like year-long adventures to like – and just chase waves. Like, and, um, and he was kind of back in town as well. And then uh, we kind of like – the three of us were pretty keen to just do something, I guess, in that space. Like we were surfing a lot together again and it was like we were kids, like we were – we surfed every day together when, between the age of 10 and like 18. Like we spent every day, every weekend dropping at each other's house sort of stuff and um, and that included like Tommy and Dane Carollo and Paul Bleasby and, and Naps and things like that. But like the three of us kind of went, fuck them. Like Timmy was – doing really well in comps again. Like he'd almost stopped doing comps and then we were like 28 or something at this stage, I guess. It was six years ago. So, and, and he had a big hip so, problem too. Yeah. He had a heap of injuries yeah. and he was just on this like fanatical, like I'm going to score the biggest, best waves in anywhere in the world. Like he was going to Nias, he was going, he was going to the South coast, like just charging. Like, do you remember when he going, dropped that video of him at Nias? It's the most fucked up thing. Like, so good. It's, the thing with Timmy is that his surfing in like heavy water, heavy waves, is as good as anyone in the world. Like, it is world class. And crew that are at that level and world class, when they see it, they appreciate it. You know, and he's just—it's weird because Torque is the industry epicenter, but if he had been Hawaiian or if he had been Californian or if he had been like from the Goldies, probably would have been still sponsored as a big wave surfer. It's probably the same for Rolly as well. You know, like him and Jeff are on a level that most people, and Paul Bleasby's on that level yeah. as well from a charging standpoint. But Timmy and Rolly from, like Timmy like made world junior titles under 18s. Like he was the most successful out of our group competitively. But then he just took that into big wave surfing for the love and for the core of it. And there was a five or six year period where he dragged a few of us along with him and I probably saw him do some shit that was not well. And, like, you're just like, that guy's operates on another level. And Carl Wright's a bit in that from the island. He's in the same boat. And so Timmy had done a bunch of stuff and he was just really excited by surfing and he won the trials that year, made the main event, took it up to Adriano in the first heat, nearly beat Felipe in the second heat. Not Felipe, 
Italo. And um, and so he was kind of like competitive surfing again. Like he won a state title, I think. And then um, he was like, let's – the three of us were like, let's start a club. Like let's do a board riders club because we're all back and like an excuse to hang out. And I was definitely um, – we – we'd all been TBC members as kids and we all left at about 18. It sort of the, the vibe at that club had changed. We grew up under the like Sean, Troy, like um, Napalm. Digger. Like, Digger was the president. <laughs> yeah. Tripper was the president when I was 16. Like, yeah. And he was like 22 or something. And we had seen this club that was just fucking like – insane like you wanted to be there and you wanted to be a part of it and then when we got to like 18 or 19 it was probably our time to do it it really changed and probably excuse me probably coincided with the change in Torquay as well mm. and it became a lot and this isn't a jab at tbc but it's a it became more of a sort of um family sort of soccer mummish sort of mentality that came into it a little bit. And well, you evolved, just evolved, it just evolved in a different evolved way. In a, and the, what those guys do for kids and junior surfing is incredible. Yeah. Like they have such a love and passion to make kids the next great surfers. And they've got like Zave, Tully, um, that Willis Dreamer kid has tapped on another level how good he surfs. Mm. He's got that Australian like lankiness that is just iconic. Like he's going to be like a Margo or something. And um, Margo, he's like, so they've and they have a really good home for crew to make something of surfing and to become better surfers and push themselves. And we had no interest in that. And with 28, some of us have got a couple of a kid or two, we um did not want to hassle Tully or Zave or Harry Mann for a, a score in the last two minutes or have someone sort of psych if they didn't make a heat like so we started juck as like this alternative option for a town that was expanding pretty quick and our goal always was to just have fun and um not take it too seriously and we wrote these rules at timmy's house one day that was like um rule number one was like um you must respect your elders you know like you can't have no overly competitive vibes like if you hassle or be a dog in the water like you're gonna get called out when you come in like yeah you can't hassle and some of us are great hustlers in free surfing like yeah we'll, we'll paddle anyone up the point to get away but in the contest there's none of that we only wanted one division so it didn't matter if you're 16 or 15 or you were in your 40s, like you surf against each other. And, and, to, and it used to be like that when I was a kid, just from sheer town was small, the club was small. And we loved that component. And then um, community and environment was probably a big one where we were like, we want to make um, the place better. Like we want to make this group that we're forming, this commit, like this community of crew um make the town better or look after each other or have something to bounce off or just catch up four times a year to hang out because we're all so fucking busy. Let's just make it fucking stamp this date in your diary. Yeah. You, you come to the top car park, if it's six foot and onshore or one foot and howling wind, everybody stays there all day because it's just, it's a rarity. We don't have six to eight comps a year like the other clubs. We have four, one a season. And as you know, you, you can only probably make three of them anyway, but when they come around, you're like, epic like and that was our thing from the start and we hoped our little group of 20 crew in our generation would rock up on day one and our first contest had 72 crew on it 
It was fucked up. And we, me and Timmy just looked at each other and we were like, holy shit, like we have to organise this. Like, And um, it was amazing. Like we had everyone, the next generation below, like your Willie Stevensons, like Adam Rawson, Hughie Warner, like and then even the next little group down and then all the way up to like my old man rocked up, Pin rocked up, like, you know, um, Hurls rocked up, Carlo Loudon. Like we had that like just Dickie Knee's been like. Boots. It, Bootsy. Like Bootsy's like our favourite surfer. Like and he fucking rocked up to our little contest to surf Jack. Like I don't think I've ever seen Boots surf Jack in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, Yet it's he's pretty rare. fucking rocks up, <laughs> straps, and he made the final or something. First yeah. ever contest. And we're like, Bootsy's here. Like, Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the first contest and we just went and had it and we ran it and we got sponsors and like, we just like created something that we felt was completely different. And what everyone was telling us, the crew that were joining weren't crew. I think TBC, when we started, we had one thing we went and we asked, we, we, when we thought, let's do this, I told dad and snit told pin and they were like all good, like you know, you're gonna ruffle some feathers, but you just gotta ask Roscoe. Just that's all you gotta do. And at that stage, the three of us had asked Tyler, Curtis, and Napper to kind of be involved in starting it with us. And Curtis and Tyler slave, and so Roscoe's mm. kids. And so we went and to sat down with Roscoe, and we we're like, Roscoe, this is what we're doing. This is our vision. We're not taking crew from Torquay. We've got a whole another trip. We're about you know just a bit more of that core kind of surf, not competitive. Do you have a? Do we have your blessing to start it? And if Roscoe, we said if Roscoe said no, we were like no. But Roscoe said, "Yep, go ahead. Like you've got my blessing. You don't have to ask for it. You've been stupid, but mm-hmm. of course you should. Like you're completely different. Go do it." And um, and then the club's just grown to 120 odd members now. Um, and you know, I remember the first batch of kids that rocked up it was a bit of a trip because. You know, it was all over 18s and there was beers and we were kind of, you know, in a zone. And um, one of these kids, and we didn't even know him, so it was Finn Brady, Lockie Thompson, yeah. Kai Gibb and um, Finn Brady and uh, Zach Brady. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, there's four kids rocked up. Like, you know, the most we'd ever had a kid was Joey Darbs. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Darbs was in the club. Yeah. He was another lord. And he pulled up with Joey who was... It's 12. Joey's just turned 18, so that's how long the club, like, we've watched that kid grow up. Yeah. It? And we were like, Joey's cool because Darbs is cool. Like, he, Darbs knows that we'll look after Joey, but four kids we didn't know, and they were just legends. Like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, we did TBC once, but, like, it was a bit, they hassled us, and, like, it was a bit, like, we don't, they're, they're not kids chasing a 10 or to yeah, beat yeah, anyone. Yeah. They just wanted somewhere to go. Fun day. And now those kids are out winky, like regulating, like, yeah. and we've, I think we've helped give them the confidence potentially. I have to ask them, but to be involved Patty in this. Patty and Nick Horch. Yep. Patty and that, they were the very next two to rock up. Yeah. Patty's like, you know, I see Patty it's down charging. the coast. I see Mount Winky. Like I rock up to Winky and no one's out there except Patty. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's putting hours in. So but, uh, I remember yeah. dad faded Patty and then out <laughs> winky cause dad didn't know who he was kind of thing. And then. Um, Patty was like, oh, that was cool. And Dad's like, oh, sorry, I didn't know your mates were. And Dad's like, that kid's just great, eh? And I was like, well, don't, <laughs> don't fade him. <laughs> oh, well, I've been waiting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we had that group and then, like, Dickie Knees, Grom Spence and, like, and now we're, yeah. like, this big club. Yeah. And the crew that started it, we've got kids and shit now and, like, we're down there and there's more kids rolling around and, like, you know, not surfing but just 
it's like turned into this big community and i love it it's the best day and every time we have one and i make it yeah (laughs) uh i'm like i just want to do this more because it's so nice to be in that click so uh, you don't get to catch up and talk to people that you don't normally see or you're allowed the space to talk yeah. When usually we're all in a rush, seeing the surf, running in yeah. and out. Blah, blah, blah. Hope you don't fucking paddle out with me, kind of stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm surfing the rock. Yeah, no, I'll just put a bit slow. <laughs> but, but then also, um, like coming back from the states after being there for a long time yeah. and being really feeling disengaged with who's who in the zoo, I just new eyes in the yeah. water everywhere, just being like, what the fuck? And then having the opportunity to step back in and meet different generations yeah. of people which has in turn made a lot of my surf so much better because like mm. there's young crew that i'm communicating with that i never normally would yeah, be they would not know you wouldn't yeah. know each other and a lot of them probably wouldn't even know that you were an original local guy that just because you left town for a while like doesn't mean you're well, out not, of the not system. og og <laughs> but been here for a long time but yeah he is you know and like yeah. and i think that's kind of what we're probably most proud of and um it's without kind of saying it because you don't have like we don't have to talk about like a mental health sort of side of things, but just from a personal point of view, like that community orientated part of what the club is is what I felt this town was slowly missing, and I think Timmy and Snip probably felt the same when we started it that we just wanted to kind of have something a support network that we had growing up where. I could paddle out the rock and feel a part of something because Napalm was there and Scano was there or Mick Ray and like, or I'd go down the coast for the first time and I'd paddle, I'd be kind of scared and like, oh, T-Ray's there or Mick or, yeah. or, or Sean and Troy are here. Like, and they've kind of, it's like you grab each other, you can just look after each other and support. And, and we've kind of tried to make it not more about who won or who's the club champion or who's the best surfer in town, but, like who's in this crew like and it's just a really healthy sort of thing i think for any surf culture or surf community to have just these hubs and um i've kind of whenever i travel around australia like or see friends from other areas they've all kind of migrated back to their clubs as well it's like you leave and you come back and there's this great junior element and then there's this great parents element of most board riders club where their kids are here so they're here because of their kids but our like age demographic at Jack is really unique in that like it's like twenty to thirty year old or twenty to thirty five is like the core of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, if there's yeah. hundred and twenty members, like oh, I'm, ninety of them are in that age bracket. Well, I'm actually thirty five now, so let's stretch the age bracket to forty, but <laughs> Well You're one of the old boys I now. Know. <laughs> Like, fucking hell. Usually way more washed up and negative than you are. The old boys are in most clubs like, oh, God, just crack and buy. But no, like, it, it is a really different age group yeah. from what it is. And there's, so there's this whole generation of surfers. Or there's this whole, like, kind of segmentation of surfers that just love to probably still hang out, but they don't give a fuck if they got an 8 or an 8.5. And actually, most of the guys that come in for heats, and I've seen you do this, did I get through, oh, shit, I can't go out for a third time. Does anyone want my spot? Like, I'm just cooked. And it doesn't mean you're going home. It means you just grab a beer and sit in the judge's chair. Most crew don't want to surf the five times it takes to make the final. It's, That's why it's always like Cody Robbo, Timmy, you know, Snit. Yeah. <laughs> Finny Baz wins everything because he's like, 
lean mean font machine the that can, Terminator. Have, can hold that long in a contest. You got like, I'm there, it's going fucking hell. I can't breathe. <laughs> so the club's like, I couldn't be more proud of where it, where it is in that regard. And, you know, just little things like we raised 7K for flooding in New South Wales, like just because we've got a couple of mates up there that were affected by it. We had Adis Stevenson and, and um, Tommy Arnold who are in our club, like working it like out there mopping up and sweeping up all of the debris and stuff like that in the Northern Rivers and we're talking to them. We're just like, fuck, we'll help. We'll put on a raffle at the pub. We race 7K. Like India Robbo, who's our most successful surfer <laughs> on tour. <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're the only club in this, in uh, only club in Victoria that has a CT surfer. But India's like, <laughs> was without a major sponsor and we were just like, okay, like, let's pull all of our resources together and raised a couple of, you know, five or six grand for India to help her go on a qualifying tour. Like, and she didn't even ask for that or want it, I don't think, but we kind of forced it upon like, yeah. please take this because yeah. <laughs> we want to help, like, you know. And, and uh, How's she doing at the moment? Uh, I think she had quite a few issues with concussion and she just surfed incredible on tour. Like the media cut really is just a pointless sort of thing, I think. Um for a rookie to find their feet, but she'll be back on tour for sure. Like she surfs too good not yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah. Like, and the way the tour is, it's like plays into our wheelhouse of like Sunset, Margaret, like Bells. Like she's, she's such a, she's such an incredible surfer. Like yeah. she's the best surfer in this town by a mile. Boy or girl does not matter. She's like you watch her do turns, you're just like holy shit. No, yeah, no, yeah. she dominates. She's way wiki. better than Cody. Like. <laughs> <laughs> She's the second best robber, because Mickey Robbo is the man. Okay. He's our favourite. And, and then India and Cody's third. But no, India, India will be back on tour with, without a doubt, you know. And I hope her and, like, either Zave or Tully or someone like, or Louis, uh, Louis Drew when he gets there, like, I hope there's a couple of those kids from this state that get on there. And, yeah. Yeah, it'll be amazing. Um, now... Uh, recently yeah yeah you've been gunning you know because the yeah. it's come a long way how many years now six years six yep. years and yeah, six years um yeah we've been fighting pretty hard for yeah, a permit. yeah. good eggs yeah yeah we're, we're, oh, yeah yeah delicate but like what a um what i think you're going here yeah and i'll go with see you. if you can you pick up what i'm putting down here so um we one of the rules from that we one of the goals not rules that we set ourselves is we really wanted to have an event on the reefs and i feel like out of 120 crew that are in our club you're going to see most of those crew out of bells and winky when it's good and we're kind of the crew that surf it alongside everyone else in this town but we feel like you know we've we've all been in this town a lot like born and raised we've been here for a long time crew in our club of old man pin glenn casey darbs like dickie knee like those guys are og reef surfers and some of the best surfers ever out there over the last 30 odd years 40 years and um we've really we really feel like we've deserved to have a reef permit and um snit um myself and mitchy me our president and timmy stevenson have been pushing like snit myself and timmy for five years now since since the first year um and mitchy more so and he's come on and he's just a really smart kid mitch like and he's the not nicest a guy kid. in the water he's, could be the nicest human you've ever yeah, met totally. is, <laughs> I know. um and just 
way smarter than us, maybe, and not emotional like us. Um, <laughs> he he's emotional, but he's not. He hasn't been <laughs> through the ringer. Yeah. Um, he he's kind of like the four of us have really been pushing really hard. Um, and we've had some help from someone outside who I probably don't, I shouldn't name because they're um, not that it's, it's just they don't want to, but they've been a really great sounding board for us, um, and it's helped us really put it all together. But the first two years of us trying to get a permit was pretty emotive. It was like me and Snit, or me and Snit and Tim, just going, "Oh, come on, like, yeah. give us one, like, why not? Like, TBC have four, you know." And we probably targeted the wrong thing. We definitely had a narrative of it was us against them, us against TBC maybe, like, why don't they give us, we're all friends. And in the end it, it just got to the point where um, we probably went at it the wrong way. We learn a lot of the back end of it. We have a stronger understanding of the policy now, the committee that decide upon it. Um, and I feel like if I was surfing Victoria or the Shire or, or TBC in that regard, Here's a bunch of crew that started a club and in year two they're going, give me a permit for the race. Like we don't even know if you guys are half organised to – you're going to have fold. Like Mm. a lot of things fold. Yeah, completely. And especially when it's like a three-person army of me, Tim and Snit going, we run this club, it's ours. Like anyone wants to join in but they don't want to be a part of running it. But over the six years we've got to the point where we don't need to do anything anymore. Like we're not even the presidents anymore. Like Mitchie's running it, there's a – healthy group of young crew like Geordie Gibbo and Lockie Edwards that want to take it over and I'm about to have a second kid. Like I'm not going to be there building fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. up every day. I can't yeah. be at the Connors every day, you know, and Snit's the same and Timmy's always working and stuff. So like the club just lives now. It's not ours. It's, it's the community it's community's yeah. and, it, and it runs itself and like there's people that have come and go and it's the way it is. And I think at the start they thought we were going to be a flash in the pan. And we heard a lot of people say that, like, oh, they won't last. It's just they want a permit, you know. So fast forward, we kind of just put our heads down and started to learn and study and understand the council and how it works and what the Shire's role is, what Surfing Victoria's role is, what TBC's role is in the policy in the committee. And and we actually found still that it was... It, it wasn't really fair, you know what I mean? And we felt like it kind of just ran on... The committee that decides the permits just kind of ran at a will, you know, a whim, and they just sort of would change their idea here. Oh, the rules are this, and then all of a sudden something else come along and the rules would change. And and we basically just wanted to be treated equally and fairly, and I think that was kind of one of the major points of where we decided to um, aim all of our energy into actually doing it legally and correctly and finding out why we felt why we were being treated differently. We pay the same rates to Surfing Victoria that TBC do. Um, we've worked with the Shire on countless things. We've asked TBC in person, like, can you guys please just support us? And in the first few years, we went after one of the existing permits. So there's nine permits. The WSL has one. Surfing Victoria have five and TBC have three. And the fifth Surfing Victoria one is a floating permit. They can do whatever they want with it. They, one year they gave it to the 50-year storm and then that proved to be a really great initiative so they made it a permit one and TBC have always used that fifth one as their Hell's Bells event so they've actually had four events for a lot of the years. Um, and we kind of went in going, give us one of yours and it was probably the wrong angle. Like if I was TBC, I would have said, no, fuck. Go. But the Serving Vic floating one was the one we really were targeting. We felt like we pay Serving Vic rates 
we pay Surfing Vic to be a part of, in, uh, affiliated with them. We've been members of board riders, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and yeah, members yeah. of that's right, yep. And us as the committee, our job is our members want a reef day, so we'll fight tooth and nail to get it for you. And um, they, like it. back in the day when I was in the TBC, mm. to surf Winky, it's an honour. It was the, was the best. It was an honour. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Those days still stand out in my the, mind. The first time I ever surfed like big bells was a TBC event and I wouldn't have paddled out if it wasn't for like I think Mick Ray was a squatter at the time and Tripper like and my old, they paddled out with us and called us into waves and me, Tim, Snit, Tommy Law, Dane were just shitting ourselves. We were the only six kids in the under 14 division or whatever it is. But I got my first big wave in a TBC contest. Like I understand how important it is and – um, our crew surf it. We deserve it. Yeah, and I, I, our, our club is equal to their club now, you know, and um, and I think that's important. To just, in what, in what sense are you saying uh, here? Numbers or? Not so much. Like we've got more open surfers in our events than they do, but they've got a really strong kids team. But it's yeah. not equal as in like we're all equal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Club, like, yeah, we all live here. Yeah. We're all human beings and no, we're, you know. It's like saying yeah. Collingwood play at the MCG and because you're Geelong, you can't play at the MCG. Probably fair enough. But you know what yeah, I mean? No, I'm only Fucking, joking. Well, yeah. as a Geelong spotter, we can go <laughs> on to that. That's another podcast. It's a great time to be a Cats fan. Yeah, fuck it. But um, you know what I mean? And we just felt like we're equal. Like we pay the same rates. We deserve this. We're a community-based thing. We do a lot of good shit for the community. Yeah. Like financially support each other. We've got this great little ecosystem of something different that's a home for crew that don't want to be in TBC. And they deserve. They pay the same amount. They deserve a day. And if you've got four, can we please have one? And um, it kind of just kept getting no's, no's, no's. And I personally, not speaking on behalf of Chanjak at all throughout this whole interview, this is just me, but I personally felt that it was a bit disrespectful. And um, I feel like our members uh, paid their dues. We've all been through the system. We've all supported the industry, the town. And... um, for a few crew in a committee to say no isn't really that fair without... And the reasons are valid, but the reasons were kept being contradicted. And um, the first time was they... You know, the, as a committee, the committee's made up of Torquay Board Riders representatives, Surfing Vic and the Shire. So those three entities... How many people from the Shire? So there's about nine to ten crew on it. Yeah. Um, and I won't call out who it is, no, but it's, to, yeah. it's a pretty even yeah. three, three and three yeah. sort of situation with one or two other up between one and four kind of crew float in and out as invited, depending on what the agenda is. So if there's more of an environmental push for the agenda. So the policy, the committee isn't just events. It's also like the stairs are broken at Winky. We need to fix them. You know, it's a Bells Beach committee, advised, like events policy sits within the Bells Beach committee. And um, so if there's an issue with that, they might invite like a Graham Stockton to come and talk about the environment or be involved in that one. And we've asked multiple times, can we get a seat at that table? Not as a permanent committee, but just to come and pitch our case in person. No, please do it all by writing. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a little slap in the face, but, Mm. you know. And Mm. then um, so we've really lobbied pretty hard and a lot of um, every time, let's say we lobby once a year, because it's coming up to the year, let's let's have 
No, because of this reason. There's too many days. Um, what we sorry, I'm jumping around, but what we initially stopped asking for one of theirs. Can we add a tenth permit, which is ours that sits on the you know? Yeah, um, it's not the floating one. It's not just the floating ours. One. Let's just add one. Yeah. And they the the feedback was the number one reason was there's too many days already unavailable to the public in the surfing reserve due to the nine events. We can't spare one day, and we went, all right. Then if an event does come available because of an event being cancelled, public have, it'll be made public and anybody can apply for the event and then we'll weigh it all up. And one came available and they didn't publicly announce it. They just announced it as a press release that the decision had been made that it would go to the bolt blowers. And everyone thought we were up in arms about bolt blowers. Bolt blowers are an incredible fucking group, an insane charity by a bunch of bloody good blokes. Mm. And we actually probably wouldn't have even gone up against it if we knew it was them. We would have gone, those guys have done 10 years of events. On the Peninsula 13th, I think they've done a couple. Fucking give them their day at Bells, 100%. I wish you had a stuck true to what the committee said and legally you're meant to do, which is open it up for public to apply because we would have pitched a case and yeah. we had a great idea around conservation as well. So it wasn't just a truck ball riders event. And then the next time it was that they can't spare a day. And then the latest thing that's got me rolled up and I kind of went off track. I didn't ask Mitch or the president. I just kind of was ropeable and posted was about the WSL event being on. And again, I love the WSL. Like I'm a huge fan of professional surfing. I'm the guy that sits up till 2am watching a qualifying series event at Aracera to see if a kid like Geordie Lawler or Dylan Moffat or Morgan Sibley get through their heat. Like it's that and the AFL are two like proper obsessions that I have. Yeah. Uh, unhealthy almost. And um, and our thing wasn't that there's a longboarding event coming to town because that's a fucking great thing. September, it's going to help the town. Like my dad has a surf shop selling longboards for God's sakes. Like, you know, like – the place is going to be buzzing. It's a great event for the town and the WSL. I'm stoked they could get it. The only thing that my issue was was that there was no public consultation to, for the opportunity, like they said there should be, for us to be able to apply for that permit. And it's just like a lot of closed doors. Consistency for five years. Like you know, they they knew about this in June and they announced the press release yesterday, um, yesterday last week. Mm. And it's like between June and. Last week, you could have come to us and said, hey, guys, I understand that there's going to be some issues with this, but financially we're going with them. Here's an opportunity for you guys to pitch a case, though. Um, the biggest hypocrisy is that it's a four-day event with a five-day build, three-day build-in, three-build. The longboard? Yeah. And so Fuck. they've gone to us for all these years that, like, hold on, you can't have what? one day, but here's, here's an extra three days being added to it. So, like... That's where we go. It's got nothing to do with the WSL. It's got nothing to do with TBC. TBC actually, I think, voted no for it to happen. Like, Hold on. I just want to say shout out to Nook. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be stoked. He gets shout out, shout out to Nook um, up behind Bunnings' new store in town. Um, the fucking – hold on. Yeah, so, uh, but that, I, that, I look. You say you love the WSL comp coming to town. I used to enjoy it. These days, it just locks up those car parks far too long. I don't have any vested interest in oh, professional surfing anymore, and so 
I, I lose why I live here. Yeah. And people say, you've been pathetic. There's beaches all over the joint. Go surf, surf <laughs> somewhere else other than Winky. But I love, I hate losing it for a, how, what is it, six weeks? Yeah, the, the, the build in and build out is the biggest issue. Oh. It's not so much the event because the event is 10 days of whatever. Yeah. And it's Easter anyway. So the joints are right off. And like, unlike you, I love nothing more than going out and watching fucking someone go ham out the bowl and go, well, that's what needs to actually happen around here. But um, the build in and out is out of control. Out of control. Like it is so long and I'm not sure. Look at the F1 in Melbourne at Albert Park. It's crazy. They pack it up, pack it down. It feels like fucking seconds. Super quick. Yeah. And, and look, uh, as this is, if you're listening, it's not a, the poke at you or anyone. It's, oh, no. it's, 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 I think this you is a hot. drag it out and get cash. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot, it's a bigger thing, you know, like it's yeah, just yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, so no, then well, you've been to events at Snapper, for instance. Yeah. Like when I worked at Quickie, I was at Snapper every year. The, that is like four days in on a truck, dump it, open the fucking louvers and start going bang out. Well, now you're going to add a longboard comp on that. So how long do they take the so car park the for three, for that? Three days to build up, four-day event, two days build down is what they're saying. And my po- like I I posted on social media and I think I've annoyed some crew because I kind of did go off not jackboard rides. This is just Casey Wouldn't speaking. they do it at Point Impossible? That's a spiritual home, isn't it? <laughs> but like... But isn't I, bells? I, yeah, no. Point Impossible is a spiritual home of longboarding, but like, well, yeah, sorry, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But I, my my thing, and sorry, I think a it, lot of crew thought that I was having a crack at either the WSL or individuals, but I'm actually having a crack at the committee for the inconsistency that they do around event policy because you can't say one thing. And it's been a good enough reason not to give Jan Juck one day for three years now. And then at the drop of a hat, come and go, oh, actually, maybe because of a financial or whatever, that, yeah, no, we'll add this. But they know they're wrong because in the minutes they're like, this is going to have backlash, but we'll deal with that. Don't worry. And to know that in June and not let any backlash occur or public, like, consultation is what they've been saying is for us to update the policy and add a 10th event, we need public consultation. Cool, let's have public consultation. We went and got 120, uh, 1,200 votes to want us to get in on our change thing. And then you just come in and go, hey, we're going to add four-day event into what used to be a one-day window. But the excuse for three years has been that there's too many days. But now this all of a sudden, that's not an issue. You're going to do it in June, decide on it in June. It's the first time their minutes haven't had a public vote, not a public, but a committee vote, it says instead of like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, around the table, it's please email us if you have any concerns. So I can't see the email from committee member A, B or C going to the, all of a sudden that's taken off public record. And because we've got the minutes from this committee for the last five years. Can I say something? Yeah. So basically with the land dividing up around town and subdivisions and everything yeah. like that, and that all happening behind closed doors and things going on like that. It's this, and yeah. it's this, uh, mm-hmm underhanded behind we'll just do what we want and um the public will find out about the last minute has filtered down to a smaller micro thing that is now it's a mindset it's it's a mindset okay and and i think i've probably been copping a bit lately from people like thinking that it's us against tbc like that rhetoric around juck versus tbc is irrelevant like that doesn't exist like we've had a couple of little blues at the 
like, you know, not bloozers in fights, but as in a couple of little verbal stouches at points or a, a member of our club and a member of their club or whatever. That's just life. Like, well, that, it's look got, at football clubs, look at anything. It's got like, nothing like, to do with yeah. anything. Like, and yeah, actually yeah. the fact that at the end of the day, footy club, you can bump into each other and then when you cross the line, you can have a beer with the person is kind of where we're at with that. And so it's not us first them. We would love it, though, if they had publicly supported our push for an extra day. They declined to publicly support it. I felt if they had of, this whole rhetoric would have died on that day and we probably still wouldn't have got it anyway, but at least it would have settled all that down. Serving Victoria, looking after their interest. Their interest is to bring events here and make money and, you know, do that sort of thing and their business, a government organ, you know, a government body, but they're a business. And understand that. Cool, bring it in. You don't have to support us. You do. You are our representative, though. And you should treat Jack with the same respect and equal um, billing as you treat Torquay board riders, Peninsula board riders, Phil Island, 13th, Otways, whatever. You, I, we would have loved to have your support as well. We're not asking for yours, but just back us to get another one. Both those organisations, if they had done that, would have helped us a lot. Probably still would have said no at the Shire level. And not to go about a post on Instagram because... Most people on here probably don't even know what it is. But when I sort of brought this back up again personally, not as Jack, the other day, it started a chain of effect where a lot of people took it as personal attack at them and whether they're in that organisation or whatnot. And it's not. It's actually at the committee who is representative of the people as a committee on the Shire and that committee needs to have a hard look at themselves at the way they are operating because it's super inconsistent. And it has been inconsistent for five years. And I think for... How for, can it be in 2022 exactly. when everything is and so exactly. scrutinised? And, and to, I don't think they were... I think they've run their own game because no one's wanted one. TBC had all they needed. Surfing Vic had all they needed. WSL had all they needed. There wasn't anyone else. Like, 13th aren't going to ask for a, a <laughs> club contest at yeah. Bells. Yeah. Oh, they aren't either. And they probably... You know, like... and. So all of a sudden another group has. So all of a sudden there's eyeballs on their manoeuvres in that committee and that committee probably used to, hindsight, don't know if I'm just speaking the truth here or not, but, like, they probably used to rock up and just go, all good, stairs are broken, let's get some funding for the stairs, how's the pack down at Bells, all good, there's no injuries, surfing Vic, you guys good, what dates do you need, TBC? And it ran like that forever. Yeah. All of a sudden they've got someone asking some questions. They've got legal advice. We've got legal advice asking. They won't even obtain the, like, they won't even ask the Shire's legal team to be involved in this issue. They're just, you know, it's, I think they just weren't ready to have the eyeballs on them. Like, we're asking for minutes. They're like, oh, we'll publish the minutes. Like, the meeting happened in June and we got the minutes last week after the press release announcing the event. You're trying to, like, yeah, yeah. No, that shit should be on on public forum within an hour. Yeah, like if I'm at work and I write minutes, I have to write, I have to reply to everyone straight away, mm -hmm. so that people can go home and digest what they just yep. went through, find out goals or objectives. On so, all levels, it happens. This is commonplace. So you, know, you, know, you got Craig on. Oh, we'll bring it up, and then the meeting minutes come out, and there's no mention of Jack. Like in five years worth of meeting minutes, we've been mentioned twice in their minutes. It's like we've asked thousands of questions. Proper emails, no replies. Like, at the end of the day, we just want to be treated equally. And I feel like we're not going in and going, TBC only deserve one event. We do. We're going, you guys keep your shit. We just want one day. Like, 
well, who is this hurting? And I think a few people don't like that and they're riled up about it and they're probably taking offence to it because it probably strikes to the core of the fact that they're probably not stoked with the way they're going about it and we're kind of making that known and they've kind of got away with it forever and I don't know. That's it, it's a, it's a, For me it's like a frustrating thing and if you ask like um, Snit's wife Hannah and Alla and uh, we were at lunch the other day and they were just like, I'm about to walk into that place and demand that there is a there is one given so you two will shut the hell up about this <laughs> like we are so sick and tired of hearing about it yeah, like yeah, yeah. please like because me and Snit will be on the phone going what's the deal how's this what's that Mitch will jump in and I'll be like oh I'll be back in a sec and it's been going on for five years and like it just at some point like we deserve this like just treating everyone equal treating everyone fairly I feel like we deserve it and Jack Board Riders isn't going anywhere no, and, at all. You know, it brings so much joy to so many people and it gives people a place to fit in where they don't not fit into a certain other kind of way things run, yeah. you know, and I think that's really healthy. So, you know, um, you can't use that term uh, colourful sheep anymore, but mm. people who are a different shade of white sheep out there in the world who don't quite fit into the normal yeah. norm, come and come get a hug at the... Jan Jack board riders. You know. I think we're the misfits. I was wondering who we were. <laughs> but no, it's true. And I feel like it, it, we're just like, I just want to be treated equally, you know. And I feel like I and our members have done our time. We've proved our point. When, you know, we're not these like renegade kind of weird crew that are like mm-hmm. running their own show like we're getting proper advice we're finding a home for crew we're putting on great events we're raising a lot of money for the community and we actually have trying to just let all that other stuff just kind of not consume us and define the club because we don't want the club to be defined by trying to get a permit like that's not win or fail for us like the club's already more than we ever expected this is just a nice little cherry on top that we feel we deserve as oh, rate-paying, tax-paying yeah. local community members. And um, it, it, it's funny. Like some crew that aren't for it, I guess it shows their true colours and some crew that have come out of the woodwork to support us when we didn't expect them to is just been great as well. So keep it posted, see what happens. Like the, the current policy ends in 2025 and then Gorpa, who are a new group, are taking over from it, from the Shire. Um, and I feel like the Shire might be just like too hard basket. We're not – this isn't our thing in three years anyway, so yeah, they yeah. can deal with it then. And and that's just – I'd hate for us to get it because it goes to Gorpa. I feel like yeah, yeah. we deserve it based on the merits of where the club is, what we stand for, and how outdated the policy is, which is there to service – two or three individual, not individuals, kind of individuals, but also individual groups um, and allow them to have it all. And I'm hoping that more than anything, the heart of Jack is we're just going to keep fighting until it happens. So sooner the better. Even though Ella and Hannah might not want us to, we'll just keep coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to pause you one second. I'm busting for a piece. Oh, good, mate. That was my normal issue. (laughs) <laughs> uh okay so i hope we get one too yeah it'd be good 
Um, look forward to having a heat with you out the reefs, Teasy. Oh, this is where I feel like only re- selfishly is like I think I surf the reefs better than I surf Jack. Oh, it could be, a, but could, I think probably could all be of Jan Jack board riders does. So. <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> I mean, really met many crew that could surf Jack well. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Finny Baz, two-time oh club chair. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the list is actually too bad he long. surfs the reefs yeah. better than yeah. that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, all right. Well, we're just on this little. Gripe thing. Yeah, bruh. Well, bruh. What, um, this has been a point of contention for me and I've been kind of trying to be quiet about it because I know it's quite divisive. And I know I rang you as a sounding board and I know that you were of the same thought. Correct, though. I'm struggling with the camera looking at Winky. Yeah. And... I'm, and, and once again, I'm struggling with the lack of uh, respect or uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? But the fact that no one was... Public consultation. Thank you very yeah. much. We, we just have all the words. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Bang! I feel like I said public consultation 50 times in the last two weeks. That's a good... That's good. That's what I'm looking for. There's no public consultation. And that's... Suddenly there's just a camera there. Yeah. And you pay... You can use it. And yeah. look, some people are saying, some people, and I feel like a fucking old dinosaur because there are people who like it, which tripped me out. Yeah. But it really affected a surf that I had and there was no one in the car park or yeah. there and it was the start of a new swell. And by the time I got my board down the beach and put the fins in, there was 12 guys at Uppers. Yeah, of course there was. And when I got back up, I didn't even surf. The, uh Someone said, yes, everyone's sitting at home watching, waiting yeah. on the camera. And that's when I fucking, my head flipped. Yeah. Uh, do you know what's going on with so, it? So, nah, I don't. It appeared just one day out of the blue. I, I'm not a member of or a subscriber or whatever to Swellnet or Surfline, which I think it's on the Surfline or it's on the Swellnet. And it's um, like I, I'll look at Swellnet because it's, free and they give you two days or whatever and yeah um that's all no, you i'm looking no at on that yeah and but i've never paid for a, a thing and i my forecast swell forecaster is paul bleesby like he's one of those people that's like when do you subscribe to that one yeah well yeah. It's, i'll give you his number <laughs> yeah i've got it okay i'll start texting him every morning <laughs> i used to have access to his boy whether it was password was his dog's name or something like that and there was about 50 of us on there and um, but I can't even read that shit too well. I actually can read an old fax printout synoptic chart better than I can the new boy ones and and what it all means. But Paulo's my swell forecaster, yeah. And so if I have a spare day, I text him, go, "What's it looking like? Tell me what what's the deal." And yeah. Paulo has it down to the time of day that the set will come through at the exact moment of what he needs to do. And he's a surgeon. He is the master at it. <laughs> and um, and so I don't have that stuff. And I surfed Winky and around the week that it came out and um, it was packed and I got back to work. I was on my lunch break and Louis, I said, oh, I had this sick one and I got this really good wave and I did this turn and it was, Sham was out there and Sham was like, that turn, like, I was like, oh man, I'm still, I've still got it. Like, yeah. <laughs> my old washed off and like got dad bod in my knees creak and all that stuff. But like. Layback? It, it, it was the only thing I can do. It, it was one layback. One of the best laybacks <laughs> in the game. Yeah. I've only got one turn. I do it eight times. <laughs> and um, and Louis like, oh. Uh, so I got back to work and one of the young kids, actually it was Louis Wright. Louis like, oh, fucking 
let's get it up. We'll check it out. And I was like, oh, shit. He's like, when was it? I'm like, oh, I started the surf and, like, yeah. scrolled through and, like, literally from a distance you can see it. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking at this thing. Oh, fuck, this camera's out of control. Like, it is clear as day. And um, so I got myself, you know, gratification from that little clip and had everyone standing around at the yeah, office. In the and office. Like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, Tim, they tip champagne all over you and Timmy got a good tube, like the next one, because I flicked off and like, and then so we see Timmy's pit and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. But then I was like, I'm just not down on it pointing at Winky. Like, I know. And um, so I had to let that be known that I did suss myself once and it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Pixelated. Oh, that's a fun moment. It was pixelated. It's not worthy. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it wasn't worth the <laughs> But you can tell who's it. who. You can. If you know, you can tell. And I could tell pretty quickly which one was Timmy. I could tell that Rolly was out there. I saw Rolly get one, Mick Ray. And anyway, but I feel like it's lost um, the... Here I am asking for an event out the race and then complaining about a camera. But, like, I feel like no, it's no, lost. It's it. kind of like the mystique of the reserve. It's a Fucking totally. And, um, like, I was up at Noosa this week. Uh, on a holiday and I noticed that there's no camera on the points. Like there's a way back drawn out view that's similar to the Jack camera to point up to Bells and Winky from a very far distance for a split second. It rotates around. So it's down at the Noosa bar. It's because it's a surfing reserve. Like you don't have one at Boiling Pot or Nationals or Little Cove. Like, and there's just an element that we're probably going to lose where a guy can look at it if you want to find out because you're stuck in the desk, just look at the Jack one and you'll probably, if you know what you're doing, you'll probably be able to work out what you're doing. And most you crew just can need to know what the tide is, and, what the swell is yeah. and what the wind is. And most crew that Fuck. know will know. And if you don't, you don't. But just go have a look, chase it like. and Live I, with a bit of mystique. Yeah, because I, I feel like it's going to get to the point where it's like everyone's thinking the same, everyone's watching the cam, bang, drop, on, like drive that five extra minutes out there to check it and if you rush, then to take that chance out of having to surf Jack on your lunchy or whatnot. But like, we're talking about money now, right? And because it's it's it? making money yeah. for subscribers mm. on, on Swellnet. Part, yeah. Is that Swellnet? Yeah, I'm Swellnet. I think it is. It yeah, is, yeah. it is. Because the other surf line's American. It's, it's, um, yeah, Swellnet, which is, yeah. It's to based, I think, yeah. access the camera, you pay a subscription, yeah. and you've got... Look, no offense to those people who drive an hour to surf. Fucking so what? Yeah. But I did it for six years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've all done it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but it's they're obviously the people that. Oh no, no, there's a lot of people locally who like use it as well. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things. If it's there, people are going to use it. But does it need to be there? And it hasn't been there for the last X amount of years, and no one's had an issue. And like, why? I don't so understand. Why, does, why does, do we need it? Why can't? Does anyone live in that house? Like, can you could walk? From, from what I can see, it it could be Flino's old house, or is it no? It's not. Of, it's, it's next not door. Next door. Yeah. So, I have no idea whose house that is. Because everyone thought it was the Flino house. Oh, I and thought it's it was not. Flino's as well. No, but it's, it's not. Next door. Yeah. yeah. And Flino doesn't own it, so it's not. No, I know. Flino, but but I, I, I thought it was his the old Napalm used to live there as well. Like it's their old old place, but um. Yeah, I assume maybe the new owners of that house might have put in their front yard, but it's next door. It's uh, it's not that one. It's not yeah. the Flino house. I do know. I found that out recently. But why? You know, you could take an air horn on the walking track, <laughs> <laughs> and every morning at six thirty, just let one rip just yeah. as you're walking past. How long until someone's? I'd pull it down. Yeah, I'm down. 
Or just go spray paint it. Actually, no, if this happens, well, that's then going it's, they're going to come back to you and me here. Yeah, I know. But, so, that, but it's not us. It's so, not us. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, you know, like, and you can't spray paint it because then you've got to get onto someone's private property and that's trespass. But oh, an right. air horn yeah. from public property... Would wake them up. Yeah. Plant a tree in front of it. Like, yeah, I don't know, you know. I, like, it's one of those things that I just don't think it's necessary. And if Bells and the Surfing Reserve is as sacred and as delicate as it is, which it is, and, you know, we've done Enviro Days out there, like with planted trees, like watched them redo the car park, which the helipad, which I thought was stupid, but now I realise it's probably for the best of that area because no more mudslides and stuff. Like The big old the, snake lives under that, that thing. That thing is huge. Like, oh, my God. And then I did an Enviro Day out there and I've seen the biggest snake of, like, there is so There's, many it's in that out of area. control in that flat part between the highway and the clifftop. Yeah. And like, I remember Haywood used to walk in there to shoot photos. Like, and I was like, you're tripping, Haywood. Like, don't. Like, and um, it's Tiger Snake Central. But like, I just don't think a surfing reserve requires a camera, of a high def camera that somebody's making cash out of. And, um, and you know, it'd even be different if like, the talkie, the Jan Jack cam that looks at Jack, that's at the surf club, yeah. is raising money for the surf club. Great. Like, that's going to better facilities, going for more volunteers, you know, like, that's saving lives. The talkie one's the same. Like, that's a surfing reserve. It does not need it. Like, just either that guy's getting paid cash, well, surfing's making money off of it. Like, what's the point? I know like, Darren Noisy mm. made a bit of a... He, he was, yeah. He made a bit of it, and the fella said, well, it's just you. It's just you jumping up and down. I know. And I, I just feel like there's been no way of expressing. They should have asked. It should be asked. It should have been put out, and there's no way of expressing, and everyone's really tapped at mm. the moment. Yeah. With Emotionally, physically, just little, fucking. The years that we've just yeah. been through, trying to keep. Shit together. <laughs> yeah, bills paid, you know, like, and then, to, and then you have these, just these little attacks that yeah. it's just like, ah, uh, people are becoming, and myself too, apathetical. It's just like, ah, oh, fuck it, what, it's just the future. But do we have to settle for the future? You know, we still can keep Hold something up. sacred. Yeah. The purity of not having it for me is, would be, would be my, you know, I just don't feel the need for it. It's not a necessity. Like, and... I'm in that zone. I'm tapped. Like, put too much time into this <laughs> permit issue to go and go, yeah. hey, who's here to fight this fight with me? <laughs> That's why when he called me, I was like, man, I'm so frightened. <laughs> if, if you have at it, just, you can, I'll be behind I'll you. you. Of course. Like, yeah, you bite at it. But I, um, it's not necessary. And the fact that Krill making cash off, what's like, make it free, okay? If you're really passionate about, if your core element is that you want surfers to have more knowledge of what's going on or service the people, make it free then. Gun, like. And how much is that guy being paid to have it under his house? And, and how much, Surfline, you can find out how much, it's probably like eight bucks a month or something to join those guys. And then how much money are they making off that specific, anyway, fucking whatever, who cares? I just don't like it. No, I'm anti it as well, and I'm um, I just I, I just don't feel it's necessary. Like the old fashioned, just check the surf, work out where you're gonna play, lay your day around it. All surfers do it. We wake up and we go, okay, probably should be here at this time. Is that gonna be possible? 
Al, is that possible? What's Oates doing? Mm-hmm. Sitting around his nap time. <laughs> what are you oh, doing? Shit. At, okay, uh, so I got a meeting from nine to ten. Yeah. Can I push that out to get a surf before the Tigers tie out the rock? No. Oh well, I'll miss this one. But like sitting there, just like torturously looking, going, "Okay, now's my gap," and knowing that there's probably two thousand other crew going, "Now's my gap." Or like, if just you just, it's not necessary. If you know what's going on, you know, and you look, and the Chuck one's good enough. Bell's one, Torquay one's probably good enough. You know, you don't need totally. a Bell's one. Um, yeah, it's like you go to California, it's just the lay of the land. Like every inch of beach in that joint is on cam. Is it right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, Southern Cal's like you look at the Newport one, in, it's like 52nd Street, 58th Street, 60, you know, like right. it is every little alcove is, is taken up. So it's kind of like that business model's come to here and that they're trying to do it. And Well, right, why River got rid of theirs? Oh, well, who's... Who's the project manager of that? You, well, right. you know what happened is the locals just went to the dude's house and just said, take it down. You want to have a good time around here? Take it down. The guy's house that it's in here probably comes down twice a year. Well, it's probably a QC in Melbourne or something. <laughs> well, he doesn't need the cash then, does he? he? I have no idea who it is. It's probably, it's probably a mate or it's like, No, was, no, it's not. I've asked around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably my boss or something <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, nah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. let it be, mate. Yeah, like, it's good. Yeah. yeah, it's helping the crew out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they've got money going to the right place. They, yeah. I wish I had that view. I would be putting a camera in it. <laughs> um, so, oh. anyway, changing gears. Um, now, the Nook. Yeah, Dad's little space. It's unreal. Yeah, it's sick. I'm so stoked. Like, um, mum and dad have always kind of gone around and had little businesses and done things and worked for big crew. And, um, as dad's kind of gotten a bit older and he's been selling e-bikes lately, which has like been insane. And, um, they sort of, they had a shop in Byron and they had the e-bikes cause they were going to do like you in Byron, you get the, like a clothing shop and you could rent the e-bike and ride it out to the, Oh, cool. It looked like lighthouse, yeah, back, yeah, yeah. you know, rent it out for the day. And, um, then when COVID hit, they kind of, and we had Otis, they were kind of like, oh, I don't know if we want to be in Byron, let's move back to Torquay. And the bikes rocked up, like a couple, and Dad was like, shit, what do I do here? And another shy one, the insurance and that, to do it here, because they are going to do it from their oh, shop in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Gilbert Street out to Bells, and same business model. The insurance was out of control. Like, you literally would be losing money doing it. So, so the insurance between Byron and here is different? Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to ask Dad on that. But, yeah, yeah it, they looked at it to do it in Byron. It was doable. And then here it was completely different. Um, and then so Dad had bikes and he ended up selling a couple. He was just like, well, I don't need 10 bikes. So And they just went straight away. The bikes are in crate. Insane. Like, these yeah, bikes yeah. go like 30 clicks and shit off stall. Like pedal if you go past the cops and that's about it. But, like, um, <laughs> he... And they just kept selling and selling. So dad got a warehouse up in behind Bunnings and um, I've been selling 88s and using wherever dad's warehouse is to just meet crew to come by in these foamies and yeah. my friend Harry's brand. And um, and so I started just being there and on weekends crew would come by their 88s. And then um, dad, when he was in Byron, got to know quite a few crew and and he just wanted to do surfboards as well. And he's got half a warehouse, so he's like, I'm up here every day selling bikes and working, doing sourcing, so I might as well set it up. And I was like, well, I can put my – somewhere where people can come pick up the 88s. And uh, before you know it, he's got, like, 
40 boards in there and he's psyched. Like he's doing it. You know, he's really pumped on it. and That's awesome. Um, yeah, he's had a pretty tough year. And so to have this as this little bit on the end that it's all organised and ready and something he's wanted to do for a long time. And um, I sort of just helped him do up the logo and get it all sorted and introduced him to a couple other shapers that I was friends with alongside the crew that he was using. Um, and, uh, yeah, the boards are cool. Like, they're, they're insane. And um, a lot of crew are doing Oh, they're art. Yeah, they're beautiful things. And, yeah. like, that was kind of like... You know, there's so many joints in Torquay where you can go get a 6.2JS, but like, um, and there's a lot of amazing local shapers that are doing really cool shit. And um, this is just the only thing they sell is their stuff you couldn't buy in Victoria anyway. So it's, people have been chasing it down, and it, it was through friends like at Vouch or Dead Kooks and um, and Nettleton's, who's Sean's a local guy, and Lukey Daniels, who's a guy I've been riding his ASIMs, and they're like incredible surfboards. And so they were all going, oh, we get orders for Victoria, but it's a sweat to send them down. So that's kind of got a little hub there for any non-Victorian sort of board you can't get down here. And, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's heavy to go in there because I just like, they're all dads and I'm like, I stole one, took it to Noosa. <laughs> um, I stole another, which I've been, the demos. And I've been, so I've all of a sudden started liking surfing again. <laughs> I was on a foamy for like five years and now I'm like, I've been riding a couple of 20 vouchers that are just insane surfboards. And um, yeah, it's kind of, he, he's really stoked and he's just gone off to Europe the other day and, um, or yesterday and for a little holiday. And then when he gets back, he'll kind of turn it right up over summer and be up there every day. So get up there and say good day to him, he'll. Oh yeah, he'll chew your ear off, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you got any? Um, you got any twenty demos up there? There's a twenty demo, a five eight. That's too small for me. That's just a beast. I rode it at Southside, which is actually has it got um, beep out the Southside take out section. Fence? No, they're glass ends. <sighs> he took the gla- the that's the Vouchy, the dead kooks with the takeout fins. He took to took to France with him. Uh, He's meeting Darcy over there, so they're going to go surfing. Uh, and Mum's gone as well. So yeah. Yeah, so um, get up there and have a look. It's just behind Bunnings. I yeah. came up to the opening. I know oh, you did, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. Yo, get up there. Go old man. <laughs> Come see, yeah. Um, but that was good. And heaps of crew rocked up. So I was like, oh, we might need beers for like 10 or 12 people. <laughs> there was like 80 crew rocked up. It was up. a great night. It was sick. Yeah, I, I had to make it. mum drive me home. I'd had too many beers. I was like, mum, can you drive us home? <laughs> No worries. Yeah, that was good. Can you drive my friends home too? <laughs> <laughs> Old school. Yeah, it's gone full circle. But no, he's stuck and uh, he's surfing more than ever now after um, after the year. So after all his treatment and stuff like that, so he's surfing out, surfing well. Dude, I love your old man. I bump in. I've bumped into him in the, like I remember in LA, yeah. Southern Orange County, just always frothing. Just pops up, eh? yeah. Just yeah. Pop, I'm like, oh, what? And what? Had a good 10 or 12 years where it was like here, LA, Hong Kong, you know, like Laguna. They just sort of bounced around working and um, and uh, they definitely, when Das and I were old enough, kind of took the opportunity to do that. And now they've kind of come full circle and back here and settling in, which is nice. Right. As they get older, mate, you know, we're all getting old. <laughs> Yeah. He's still surfing better than me. He's <laughs> I know, totally. 62 years old. He's like riding a shorty and ripping. And uh, it's depressing. Maybe I'll still have it when I'm fit. Just going to keep stretching. Time. If there's anything from Barbarian Days, yeah, stretch. Stretch. That's one thing keep I don't the body. do. 
I eat junk, sit at a desk, and surf sometimes. So uh, I've got to get. I got to change you'll it up. You'll hit your rock bottom there one of I these did. days, young lady. <laughs> I've had three injuries in like the last year, just like just stupid things from just. No, I've got to learn to stretch, and yeah, yeah. I complain to Ella all the time about all my shit, like knee sore, ankle sore, and she's like, "You do nothing, like stretch, like stretch use barbarian days as a catalyst." Because yeah, I mean, I do. It's a good takeout from this, actually. But no one's read it. It's epic. Yeah, it's insane. Um, eggs, I've loved. Thanks, eggs. This. Um, I, I've got to wrap it though. Yeah, get a, get out of the country. <laughs> I've got to go and pick up Virginia. I haven't fully packed yet. I could get in trouble. Yeah, you need to get done. Yeah. But thanks, mate. Stoked to be here. Yeah. Legend. Thanks, bro. Okay, well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Casey Egan, and did we not cover some territory? Um, whoever you are out there in the wide world, Thank you so much for listening. Always appreciate you lending my your my ears. What is that? I always appreciate you lending me your ears and tuning into the horse's mouth. Um, oh, I am still sweating bullets. And um, until next time, say goodbye, Virginia. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and hope you're well out there in the world. Okay. Adios. Bye.